hearts and it's with prophetic word. And so we have a prophetic team here to minister as well so you can actually interact with the message and experience the message after the service. So it's going to be awesome. And so you should make plans to hang out a little bit and get a, get a word, see what the Lord would say over you and speak to you. So what I want to talk to you about is what is prophetic word? What is it? We talk a lot about it. You hear it oftentimes here at, at, at Elevate. And so I'll just take a little bit of time here this morning and explain it to you, show you some of the ideas, the concepts, what it's all about. What the prophetic word is, it is a ministry of the Holy Spirit through the saints, that would be those who have faith in Christ, so that we can minister one to the other and ultimately to the world. God's dynamic plan for His church is that we learn how to minister one to the other. You know, you can get the pastor to minister to you, you can get the elders, you can get the ministry leaders, but the ultimate goal of the church is that it's a kingdom of priests and priestesses unto the Lord and that we minister one to the other. And one of the ways that we learn to do that is through prophetic ministry. It is to be an active part of church culture. We have two extreme camps in Christianity. We have those who say God wrote a book and stopped talking. Then we have those over here who believe that God is just has nothing but bad news and when He speaks, it's thunder, lightning, doom, and gloom. It's neither. It's in the middle. And so what I hope to present to you is a balanced approach that the Lord is speaking, still speaking, still has something to say, speaks prophetically to and through His people, and why and the way and the manner in which He speaks. And what's very important to know is that the prophetic ministry is, was designed to be an active part of church culture. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit to the church. We either see it not active in the church or we see it completely misunderstood, one or the other. But seldom do we get it right. Paul's writing to a church in Corinth. That's what the book 1 Corinthians is. So I'll just give you a little precursor of your Bible. From the book of Romans all the way through the book of Jude, those, are, those, those books are called epistles or letters. And what they are, they are letters written by the apostle or the sent one or the church planter to instruct the church in its operation and how they are to do things. And so the epistles or the letters, Romans through Jude, they instruct the church on cultural problems because there's lots of cultural problems back then, just as there are now lots of diversity issues. So it instructs the church on diversity issues, how we would approach that. It instructs the church in spiritual matters, instructs the church on how to, to uh, handle relational issues. So that's the purpose of those books. And in one of those books, 1 Corinthians, Paul is instructing the church on how to minister in the Spirit. And so he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. The actual word is spiritual. So pursue love. Drive yourself after the highest good. That's the biblical definition of love is the highest good. So pursue the highest good. And earnestly desire the spiritual, the Bible says. Earnestly desire spiritual environments. Earnestly desire spiritual activation. Earnestly desire spiritual things. So we're to want the spiritual things. If we don't want the spiritual things, then we have a problem. There's a problem. If we don't like worship, we don't like the activation, the impartation of the spiritual things, that's not God's design for us. It's not come and go as you please. You know, it's not in and out in an hour. That's the way we approach church. And while that is part of our culture and is effective in some reasons, it is not the design of heaven. God has this. Thank you. God has designed the church to be an interactive environment with Him in the Spirit. An interactive environment with each other in the Spirit. That's the purpose. So when we devoid the church of the Spirit, we're devoiding Him of the very heart in which He is, has desired to establish within the church. 
So we have all of these different ways in which it happens. So he tells them, chase the highest good and earnestly desire the spiritual environment. You should want to worship. You should want to be this. You should hunger for a prophetic word. So I don't know. Well, I'm going to deal with that today. You should want it. Even if you don't understand it, you should want it. Our faith is to be experiential. That's, again, the way the Bible structures us with the Lord. It tells us to, to uh, experience the love of God, that we would be filled with all the knowledge of Him, that we would know the love of God is the verse in Ephesians. But the word for know is the word experience. So God's intention for you is to experience Him. We have a millennial culture. A lot of the young people today, those who were born from the year 2000 on, you know, 1999 on, what they, they spend, uh, they're studying that group, all the marketers are, to try to understand them. One thing they discovered is they will spend high, not high, high amounts of money or large amounts of money just to get an experience. So we have a millennial culture that really wants an experience. Well, the greatest experience of all is with the Holy Spirit, the presence and the atmosphere of, of God. God has designed us to want experience, and He offers it to us. He says, Desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who speaks with a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. He's instructing them in the application of spiritual activations or spiritual gifts within the church. The gift of tongues is a valid, legitimate gift to the church. We have to clarify this. Gift of tongues, we speak in tongues. We speak in an unknown language. We have no idea. If you know what I'm talking about, when you speak in a tongue, you don't have no idea what you're saying, but you know something's going on. You're speaking in an unknown language. The Bible teaches us that we are speaking unto the Lord and that, but that, that interaction in tongues is building us up as a person and we're speaking mysteries. One translation would say the perfect will of God. So when we pray in tongues, we're speaking the perfect will of God. I don't know what that's like, but I need to pre speak in tongues, man. You know what I'm saying? I want to pray the perfect will of God. I don't know about you. Tongues is active and valid for today. Period. Can all speak in tongues? Absolutely. Will all speak in tongues? Probably not. Because Christians got too many problems with their head. We're too much in the head. That's the problem. In order to engage the spiritual, you have to put the... Women tend to go there a lot faster than men. Men, we're sitting there reasoning it. Let's see. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. It doesn't make sense. Logic doesn't line up. Of course it doesn't line up. It's not logical. It's spiritual. Totally different. One of the things about the spiritual is that it requires you to, to put your understanding or put yourself in neutral. But tongues are for today. We speak in tongues. Bible, so oftentimes they'll say, well, if tongues are spoken in the church, there must be an interpreter. That's not what it says. Bible says if, tongues, if I speak in tongues to you, there must be an interpreter. In other words, if I come up to give you a word of prophecy and I give you a little shikamoshai, come get in the Hyundai, I give you a little word in tongues, I need to interpret it. Or somebody needs to interpret what's said. It never tells us that when we're speaking to the Lord, we have to interpret it. You can speak in tongues unto the Lord, and it never tells you there needs to be an interpreter. But it'll tell you, and I'll read the verse for you, that if I speak to you in tongues, because that's what they were doing. They were prophesying in tongues. You know, oh man, I'm really going through it. And the purpose is edification. So what he's saying here, he's speaking to the church, and he's saying, listen, the purpose of these gifts are to not just bless you, but they are to bless each other. And when you speak in tongues, and you're talking to somebody, and you give them a word in tongues, it doesn't bless them. So don't do it unless you got somebody there that can interpret it. That's what he's saying. 
And then he says it's better to give them a word of prophetic than it is to give them a word of tongues because when you speak to them in the prophetic, you're actually building them up and you're actually blessing them. You get it? That's the point. So if you come up to me and go, man, I'm really going through something, I go, shikamoshai, I got a spot on my tie, here's my Honda, and I give you some kind of word in tongues, it doesn't benefit you. I don't speak in tongues that way. I'm just I'm making... I'm making a joke out of it, so it's great to it. But if I give you a word in tongues, it doesn't relate to you at all. As much as if you were going through something and I asked the Lord and I said, I feel like this is what the Lord would say. Or I just declare a change of season over you. That's a completely different dynamic. You understand that? So that's how the gift is ministered. And I'm going to read it for you. No one understands him in the spirit of speaks mysteries, but he's edifying you're edifying yourself. I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that all of you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Why is he saying that? Because he's talking about the context of the church. Prophetic ministry within the church is greater than tongues because it blesses people. You see that? It's not like, oh, well, prophecy is better than tongues. That's not what he's saying. In the context of the ministry within the church, the prophetic ministry is better because it blesses people. Tongues in your, in your relationship is probably better for you as you're relating to the Lord because the Bible says you're building yourself up. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless there's an interpretation. See, there's the, again the indication that if I'm prophesying or I'm speaking a word to you in tongues that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall it profit you either, unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, or by prophesying or teaching? Next slide. I didn't put it up there, but if you look at the very next verse, if I come to you speaking in tongues, maybe I did read it. If I come to you speaking in tongues, there needs to be an interpreter. That's the idea. So we got that out of context. We think, oh, there shouldn't be tongues in the church unless there's an interpreter. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. You know? And we get all freaked out. Oh my gosh, there's got to be an interpreter. Oh, this guy's over here and he's praying in tongues. We're getting all freaked out. Where's the interpreter? This is unbiblical. we do we had all freaked out oh my gosh he's praying to the lord in tongues where's the interpreter this is out of order anybody know what i'm talking about i know what i'm talking about i've been around that you know like wait a second but the bible is not saying that it's telling us not to share word in tongues so anyway a prophetic word so here's the problem i'm going to deal with some, with some issues here a prophetic word builds up we speak into each other's lives by revelation knowledge prophetic word and teaching the Bible tells us how we are to spiritually interact with one another. It gives us the dynamic by which we spiritually interact. We interact with each other through revelation, we've knowledge, prophetic word, or teaching. These are all manifestations. I kind of categorize them. You know, my view is that it's all under prophetic ministry. And so when I speak prophetic word, I'm usually relating to something that's going on here. So when we deal with each other or we minister to each other, we deal with each other through revelation. And it could look like this, man, I really feel like the Lord has shown me this for you. Or I had a dream about you, and this, this is what I see. You know, I really feel this for you. I feel like there's something, as this is what I'm feeling for you, does this mean anything to you? That's a revelation. You understand? You have a vision about somebody. You, have a, you see something. You see it, and you go, does this mean anything to you? The Lord showed me this. It could be a scripture. You could see a verse and say, hey, share this with Liliana, or share this with Noah, or share this with, with Diana. You could have a verse where he, you know, maybe he, and he like, I, I was reading this verse this morning, and I just feel like this verse is for you. I don't know what it is. I just feel like it's for you, right? He's revealing something and showing you the person. He may be revealing it and showing it to you, but if we're relating this to ministry, this is what it looks like. 
He may give you a dream. I had this crazy dream about you. I don't know what it's, what it's all about. You know, we got in the car, we drove through the water. I don't know, this happened over here, over here, and we scrolled up, and we were a school bus stop, and picked you up and took you away. I don't know. I got nothing. But I don't know if that, but I had this dream about you. God is revealing something to you. He's giving you something to impart. Am I making sense to you at all on this at all? You guys are all like looking at me. Right. I realize this is, this is all new territory for a lot of people. Spiritual dynamics are not taught within the church, and that's why we have no power. Because we don't talk about the spiritual. The power's in the spirit. And if we don't understand the spirit, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, sisters, I would not have you ignorant. Don't be stupid. Come on. I got one guy. That's all I need. That's all I need. <laughs> he does not want the church ignorant of the spiritual. We're ignorant by default because we're not taught, or we're ignorant by default because we are taught poorly. Oh, the miracles all ended with the apostles. Who told you that? Who told you that? Your Bible doesn't say that. There are no gifts for today. Who told you that? Your Bible, well, Dr. So-and-so said that. Theologian so-and-so said that. Pastor so-and-so said that. Doesn't matter what pastor so-and-so said. Your Bible doesn't say that. And experience doesn't bear it out. You say there's no miracles for today. Jesus doesn't heal anymore. Really? Too late. I've been healed. Tongues have ceased. You're too late. I speak in tongues. You're too late. You should have got me 20 years ago, and then maybe you would have convinced me that there's no tongues. But I speak in tongues, so you can't tell me that their tongues aren't for today. What's up, the devil? Who told you that? Who told you that? Where's that in the Bible? Nowhere. If I ask my father for fish, he is going to give me fish. That's right. If I ask him for the Holy Spirit, he's going to give me the Holy Spirit. He's not going to give me d demonic stuff. That's the whole purpose of Jesus saying that. He's like, you guys are so dull that you think that if you ask God for this, he's going to allow that. And he's speaking directly in reference to the Holy Spirit of all things. Wow. If you being evil know how to give a good gift, if you can give fish when somebody asks for a fish, and you can give bread when somebody asks for bread, how much more can he? Yes. You dull people, that's what he's saying. You're misinterpreting mis uh, poor paradigms. Our problem is on our side. The problem's in our head, and the problem's the way that we think. And what the church does and what Christians do is we have idolatry of the mind. We create idols and citadels of the way that we think, and we're believing lies, and we camp in towers that were built by men, doctrines that were built by men, not by God. And we believe lies, and we allow lies to be rooted in our heart, and it affects everything. Well, I'm a believer. Yeah, but you got lies rooted in your heart. If you don't believe God's a good, good God all the time, you got a lie in your heart. If you don't believe God will bless you in season and out, you have a lie in your heart. If you don't believe Jesus died for the whole world and will save anybody and everybody that asks him, you got a lie in your heart. Where's the lie? We, 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 we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're perfect when in fact there's plenty of lies within even the Christian themselves. And it is the lie and the false paradigms and the false beliefs that affect our relationship with the Lord. That's why it tells you, tear it down. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Any and all things that don't line up with what Jesus is or says, anything, Jesus doesn't heal. That's a high thing exalting itself against the knowledge of Christ, just to let you know that. Well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Pastor so-and-so said it. Well, then Pastor so-and-so is responsible for building a high thing that has exalted itself against the knowledge of Christ. And it is a sin. It is not a sin of condemnation. It is a sin that prevents destiny. Those are the sins within the church. The sins within the church aren't those that condemn us unto hell. The sins within the church are those that prevent destiny. 
And we relate those sins from the concepts that we exalt things that are against the knowledge of Christ. The Bible's blunt. Tear it down. Tear it down. Tongues aren't for today. Tear it down. Healing isn't for today. Tear it down. I've done too much. I can't be saved. God won't, God won't save me. Tear it down. That's a high thing that exalts. God's not going to bless me anymore. You don't know I've done too. You don't know what I've done. No, God doesn't love me anymore. Tear it down. Who told you that? It's a lie. It's a lie. You shared, come on. I had an amen. That's all right. I'm going to shout myself down. I'm going to go, man, Kevin, that's really good. You're really, that's on, man. You're, does this mean anything? So we share, God ministers to us with revelation, with visions, with purposes, and he shows it to you to reveal something to minister back to the person. This is how we relate. We, through knowledge, words of wisdom. You know something out of the ordinary. Hank and Sherry were ministering to a friend of Sherry's named David, or Don. Donald, whatever his name is, yeah, Donald. And so they're ministering to him. Hank gives him a word. The guy's blown away. You know, boom, 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 something's going on. Sherry looks at the guy and goes, who's Cornelius? And the guy goes, Cornelius? He's like, that's my father. And then all of a sudden it starts revealing the heart. There's a broken relationship that he has with his father. She knew something about him that she shouldn't ordinarily have known. His name wasn't Jim. His name wasn't Steve. wasn't Ted, Bill, Juan, whatever. His name was Cornelius. How many guys you know that named Cornelius? Right? It takes a lot of faith to even go, do you know somebody named Cornelius? Because I'd hear Cornelius, and I'd be like, Cornelius? Corn on a cob? I mean, what am I thinking about here? I don't know what a Cornelius. <laughs> and she just threw it out there. It was right on the money. It's a ministry of the Spirit. What is God doing? He is showing this person that God's saying, I know your heart. I know where your brokenness lies. I know where your pain lies. I see you, and I care. Huh? How many know she got his attention then? Yeah. Huh? Totally different. You can quote scripture up one side and down the other. I'm all for that. But you give somebody an encounter with the Lord, and all of a sudden you've got your attention. You got their $29.95. You just, you, they're paying attention now because you just spoke something that's a mystery that they had no idea. Who, who would know that? The Lord knows it. This is how we minister to the other. This is part of the ministry of the prophetic. It's a powerful expounder and revealer of the kingdom. You know something out of the ordinary, or wisdom. Knowledge, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom are very interrelated in the Bible. Somebody could be sharing you something, and all of a sudden you got a word of wisdom, and you go, I don't know, man, I just feel like you should do this. And it's probably the most profound thing that ever came out of your life, out of your mouth. You're like thinking, man, I need a pen, I need to write that down. You know what we mostly do when we start operating in the word of wisdom is we start thinking we're geniuses. I am a flipping genius. Did you hear what I said? And then you get home and you're out of the anointing and you're like, what did I say again? I just don't understand. Because <laughs> in the spirit, you are a genius. Because you are connected to the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ, the mind of the spirit. You are connected to that realm. So he reveals and releases wisdom. Wisdom beyond human wisdom. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody will be sharing something with you and you just get prompted and you'll be like, man, I really think you should do this. And I don't know why, but I don't know if this means anything to you, but I really think. And then you're like, wow, that was crazy good. What did I just say? <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit. Prophetic word is a declared purpose or a revealed identity. So when we get a prophetic word, these are oftentimes these are how they will work. Somebody might look at you and they may give a, prof a, a, a prophetic word and it may be your revealed purpose or prophetic destiny. <laughs> Seeing is how heaven sees. They look at you and go, you're a daughter. God loves you. He sees you. He's with you. You're a princess. You're called higher. You know, it's, it's things like that. I had a guy, I gave him a prophetic word about four months ago, 
and I give people word or whatever, just as God would lead me, and I don't like run around with a book writing it all down, but sometimes I get, test I get a lot of testimonies that come back to me. He came back, he was here last week, he said, man, you remember that word you shared with me four months ago? And I'm like, uh, kinda. Maybe you could remind me, you know? <laughs> and it said he, had it, he recorded it on his phone. So he not only recorded it on his phone, he took it home, prayed it through, and developed an action plan, which is what I'm about to tell you at the end here, off of what was said to him. And I told him, I said, listen, I believe you have insight and wisdom into an area or an arena that is unique to you. God has shown you things that you probably didn't know and it relates to these things, and so you have a lot of insight into this area. I said, does that mean anything to you? I didn't, say, I didn't know what the area was. I said, there's some area where you have a great amount of insight. I said, does that, that could really help people. I said, does that mean anything to you? He's like, yeah. I said, I feel like the Lord, because I kept seeing books. And I told him, I said, I feel like the Lord would tell you to write books. You need to write books. I said, have books ever occurred to you? He said, no, I've never even thought about writing books. Never even occurred to me. And I said, you need to start to write books. And he started asking me questions. I gave him a few things, comes back to me. We was here last week. I hadn't seen him in four months. He tells me I started writing books. And he said, all of the stuff started opening up to me. He said, I took what, what the Lord had said, and he began to do it. And all of the stuff starts opening up to him. It can be a revealed identity or a declared purpose. Teaching, spiritual instruction. So a prophetic word can be given with teaching or spiritual instruction. We had a guy here last week. He had a business. Hank was ministering to him. I kind of got in on the action. You know, so when you're on a prophetic team, you like to get in there and hijack everybody's prophetic word. You're like, ooh, the river's moving over here. Let's see if the Lord's going to move on me. Yeah, you know, and you just get in there. And I was telling him, I said, you need wisdom for your business. I said, I feel like you need wisdom. He's like, yeah. And I kept telling him, I said, I see you sitting at a kitchen table with a cup of coffee. And I said, it's early in the morning. Nobody's up yet. You're there. You have your Bible. You're talking with the Lord. You're ministering to the Lord. And I said, I feel like the wisdom that you need for your business, the Lord is going to download it to you when you start to begin to cultivate intimate time with him. And then I heard the Lord tell me, I'm not going to give it to him until he starts spending time with me. And what I told him is, I said, what I see in my spirit is, until you value that time, he's not going to release the gold. You're probably going to sit there and just have some one-on-one -on -one time and just some sharing and bonding experiences with the Lord in the morning. But eventually, as you do that, God's going to start dropping gold on you. He's going to start revealing things to you. But until you value that, it's not coming. So that's a prophetic word with, its, with instruction. So I gave him a word and attached to it with spiritual instruction that edified, encouraged, and built up. I didn't say, if you don't do this, your business is going to collapse. And I see you going bankrupt, and your house is being repossessed, and your children are getting taken away from you and going into foster care. I didn't say any of that. That's how we prophesy, though, in the churches, because we don't understand what we're doing. Christian dumb. That's what we are, dumb Christians trying to do things. That, you know, We don't know what we're doing. I said first service, a lot of people that claim to be prophetic or claim to minister prophetically need to shut up and take the seat of a learner before they open their mouth. I'm telling you, it's right. We emphasize prophetic ministry here. We train you in it. We equip you in it. Why? Because we value it. More on that in a moment. So these are the ways that the spiritual, that's the way prophetic word can be ministered through revelation, can be word through a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, can be ministered through a, a declared purpose, a revealed identity, can be ministered through a teaching with a spiritual instruction attached to it. You understand that? That points them in the right direction. Next slide. I'm trying to get you to understand this so that you'll value it. 
If you don't value it, you won't access it. Old Testament, New Testament, here's the problem in the church. This is our big, big problem. We're taking Old Testament theology and trying to put it into New Testament reality. We are not prophets according to Ezekiel. We are not prophets according to Isaiah. We are not prophets according to Jeremiah. New Testament prophetic is you are a prophet according to Jesus Christ, who is the prophet, priest, and king. The Old Testament manner of prophecy has closed. Old and New Testament. Old Testament, the prophecies related to judgment, repentance, and returning. That's how the prophets would speak. I see judgment over you. I see a cloud. Oh, there's a cloud. There's such a dark cloud over you right now. I just see the Lord is saying there's a dark cloud. There's sin in the camp. I see there's sin. And that dark cloud is related to some area of sin. And if you don't deal with that area of sin, then judgment's going to befall you. Thus saith the Lord. You don't know what spirit you're of. That time has closed. That time is over. That is not New Testament prophetic. I'm telling you now. You're off. Completely. You couldn't be more off. New Testament, the prophetic word is restoration, renewal, and destiny. So if that word doesn't have restoration, renewal, and destiny, it's not from Jesus. Amen. I'm telling you. Come on, I got one. I only need one. <laughs> this is so utterly important to the church. Prophetic ministry is foundational to everything. And we deny it, and therefore the destiny of the collective church herself is forfeited. We forfeit a huge portion of our destiny because we are either completely ignorant of how to minister the prophetic, or we have no value for it. None. And in doing so, we forfeit it. Well, God's going to do what God's going to do. Who told you that? Who told you that? God's going to do what we partner with Him to do. He's not going to work any harder than you. He's not going to work any harder than his church. Until it matters to the church, it's not a matter. Until it matters to you, it doesn't matter to the Lord. Oh, he cares, but he isn't going to do anything about it until it matters to you. All through the scripture, you see examples of this. <laughs> Syrophoenician woman. Jesus didn't move till she humbled herself. Did Jesus not care? Of course he cared. Blind Bartimaeus. Didn't matter to Jesus. Jesus was walking right by a blind man laying on the street. How could poor Jesus do that? Did Jesus not have a heart for the blind man laying on the street? Of course he did. But he wanted to know, I want to heal you, Bartimaeus, but do you want to be healed? And I'm going to keep right on going until it matters to you, until you begin to shout from the depth of your being, nothing's changing. Nothing changed until, he shed, until it mattered to him. When he went up to the pool of Bethesda, what did he say? Do you want to be healed? <laughs> I'm here to heal you, bro. Do you want to be healed? You know, it matters to me, but it doesn't matter to you. Because it's not going to happen until it matters to you. And if it doesn't matter to you, it's not happening. Write that down. Write that down. You can, you can write that down. You can put that on your wall. You put that on your mirror in the morning. God's not doing nothing until it matters to you. He's not saving a city until it matters to the people. He's not doing anything until it matters to you. And until you're willing to sacrifice and commit your being towards it, doesn't matter. Nothing's changing. Nothing. Oh, but Jesus wouldn't do that. Read your Bible, Christian. Luke said the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. So what he's showing us here is that the Old Testament prophetic ministry, the spirit of the Old Testament prophetic ministry ended with John. Say this with me. It ended, it ended with, John. with John. Old Testament prophetic ministry ended with John. You know what John's message was? The axe is laid at the foot of the tree. 
and he's going to cut down every tree that doesn't bear fruit, and he's going to burn it in fire, and he's going to come with a winnowing fan in his hand, and he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. The wheat he will take into the barn, but the chaff he's going to burn with fire. Last of the Old Testament prophets. That spirit does not exist in the New Testament anymore, Christian. It ended with John. It was proclaimed until John. Uh, over. Since that time. Everybody say, since that time. Right, which is essentially the arrival of Jesus. The good news of the kingdom is being preached. So the prophetic ministry is based on kingdom proclamation and good news. So if it's not kingdom proclamation and good news, it is of the wrong spirit. Some of you are like, wow, I was trained in a completely different way. Well, you need to throw that stuff out, come as a child, get rid of all that, and get retrained and get set right. Because there is a fault in the programming. This is why prophetic ministry doesn't operate in the church. <laughs> Got lots of people who would be prophets that want to go around speaking. Got lots of people who want to demonstrate prophetic ministry. Say this with me. It doesn't, it doesn't. take a genius to find dirt in a gold mine. Ah, oh, I see sin in your life, brother. Really? Thank you, oh, Captain Genius. There's sin in all of our lives, in case you didn't know that. The genius is not finding the dirt. The genius is in finding the gold and extracting the gold and revealing the gold. This is how you... Let me show you how Jesus really sees you. Let me see you what the Lord will really do. Let me see what's real. Let me show you what's really over your life. There's the genius, Christian. That's the nuance and the art of the prophetic, is learning to turn it into gold. Alchemists, spiritual alchemists. Oh, I see destruction over your life. Okay, so I'd back it up. I'd look at destruction and I would say, you've been through a season of very, very, very extreme difficulties. Some of it of your own making, but here's what the Lord says to you. Your season is changing. I declare a season of change over your life. And people go, but I saw the destruction. So I just spoke the destruction. He showed you the destruction because you are the arbiter of the other world. You are to declare the kingdom over that situation. And the kingdom says change. The kingdom says live. The kingdom says prosper. You understand? We minister the kingdom with good news. Anyway. <laughs> the bridegroom. John saying, I must decrease, he must increase. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is the model of the first and the new. He's the first of the New Testament prophets, and he is our model. New Testament prophet, prophetic differs because there's no residue of judgment. If you're going to share a word from a prophetic point of view, prophetic word, there should be no residue of judgment. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. There's no residue of judgment. None at all. We have a new language and a new perspective. Next slide. Here's Jesus, okay? So give you the background here, Luke 9. Jesus is going through Samaria. And the people don't want him there. So they're rejecting him. Probably throwing stuff at him. That's what they would do. Get out of town. We don't want you. We don't want you around. He's there with his disciples. He's there with James and John, the sons of thunder. And James and John kind of go, hey, man, this ain't cool. Lord, do you want us to call fire down on these people? I mean, let's just call fire down from heaven, and let's just consume them right now. You're, they're dishonoring you. They're, they're, you know, they don't want you here. They're rejecting you. Let's consume them with fire. Let's send a hurricane on them. <laughs> Let's prophesy an earthquake to get their attention. And what did he say? 
he corrected them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are speaking from. And maybe go, oh, he's quoting the devil. They didn't quote the devil, they're quoting Elijah. They're quoting the Old Testament prophet. And he is saying, that spirit of prophecy is no more. You are speaking from the Old Testament prophetic spirit. It's over. New Testament prophetic spirit is now. It's called the dispensation of grace. God's empowerment for his high, higher good. Oh, I don't like that. I like judgment. Yeah, it feels real good to tell people they got sin in their life, don't you? Doesn't it? Until somebody tells you you have sin in your life, then, oh, how dare you offend me. That's not our role, people. It's the Holy Spirit who bears witness of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We don't. It's not that we don't kind of go, hey, you know, this probably isn't a good idea, and this may even not even be biblical. But we're not the finger waggers, particularly when it comes to prophetic. Oh, I just sent that hurricane over Cuba. Kill the last of the Castros. Yes, bring that regime down. I just declare that hurricane over there. It's true. I mean, we do it, right? We, oh, man. You know, God does, if you were here last week, God doesn't send the storms, but he uses them. The storms are a natural occurrence of an unnatural brokenness and fallenness in the world. It's going to come. But God will use them for the greater good. He's not throwing hurricanes like frisbees. He's not. There will be a day when he will shake the earth. But that is a day. It's called the day of the Lord. But until that day, he's not doing it. That's New Testament theology. When the day comes, God will do. He will unleash fury. He will unleash judgment. He will shake the heavens and the earth in that day. But until that day, he's not. You got to get your mind right. You got to get your thinking right. Jesus is not, Jesus didn't come to destroy, he came to save. The hour will come when he will do what he's promised to do. The hour will come when he will show himself to the unbeliever as a judge who sits with flaming eyes and when he speaks, the planets run away. He's going to show himself like that, but he's not doing it now. It will come, but it won't, it is not now. If you understand this, this is important. The church has got all these lines crossed, man. And we don't know. We don't know what we're doing. It's like he said to the Sadducees, your problem is you don't know the Scripture or the power of God. You don't know what you're talking about. That's what he told them. He told Nicodemus, are you teaching Israel and you don't know this? Because a lot of people need to back up. A lot of teachers need to back up and go and learn these things before they open their mouth and start teaching them because they know nothing. They speak as fools like Job. Put your hand over your mouth. Be wise like Job and shut up. Put your hand over your mouth because you don't know what you're talking about. He's not doing that. And if you think that God's up there with a baseball bat chucking out Frisbee hurricanes, you won't relate to him correctly. You'll think, well, why doesn't he release it? Maybe this hurricane that's in my life is because of my own sin. Who told you that? Who told you that? You may be experiencing the consequences of poor choices, but God didn't put it on you. Sin itself is judged. So sin has its own manner of execution. We have, we stand under the Lord, we stand under blessing. We move away from the Lord, we come under the consequences of our actions. But God is not related to any of that. The consequences of the actions are because sin has been judged. He says, this is what I bless, this is what I don't. We have to understand the word curse in the Bible. Oh, it's a curse! Do you even know what it means? The only thing a curse means is its absence of blessing. That person is cursed. Well, that means they don't have the blessing on them. 
Why is there a curse? Is because you've moved out of the blessing. It's very simple. You want the blessing? Get under what he says, and you're going to be blessed. God is not arbiting cursing, if you understand that. Tanya, I tell you one thing I feel like the Lord wants, and he tells me, and I do my best to try to do it, is he wants right understanding. We profane his name. Do you know how we profane his name? We don't curse him. Oh, we would never curse God, but we profane his name by saying he's someone that he's not. We profane him by saying he is this when he is not. It affects us. Why does it anger the Lord if he gets upset about it? It's because it affects the relationship with his people. He is jealous for you, not of you. And anything that interferes with the way he wants to relate to you, he stands firmly against it. So when there's ideologies and teaching and all of these things, the church is too dull. We can't see that there's a famine. We're too dull. We just say, oh, God's not doing it anymore. That's what we say. When we don't even know. That's the, what God is showing us is there's a problem. There's a relationship problem here. That's, why there's a, that's where there's an absence of something. There's something that's not right relationally between you and me. But we just go, oh, couldn't possibly be me. It must be the Lord. He's decided to not do this anymore. The Bible doesn't teach that, man. It does not teach that. New Testament prophecy edifies, encourages, builds up. If it doesn't do these things, it's not of the Lord. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edification means build up. So the word needs to build you up. Exhortation means to encourage Keep going. Keep going. This is right. This is, this is where you need to go. This is the direction. This is what God is saying. And comfort. The Lord sees. Say this with me. The prophetic is always heart to heart. 100%. It is God's heart to the person's heart. And if it is not God's heart to the person's heart, then it is not of the Lord. He speaks heart to heart. He's telling the person who they are. Where, you know, he's speaking things there because he's talking from their heart. He's going to speak to them in a way that really matters. That's how it is. I'll share some examples in a minute. Barriers to uh, prophetic word. Fear. People are afraid because they think if I get a word from the Lord, he's going to judge me. He's going to say something about my life. He's going to call out my sin. They have a false paradigm. They believe that God isn't good. So therefore, their life is rooted in a lie. If you believe you're unlovable in any way, if you believe God will not be good to you in any way, you have a lie rooted in you. And you have a lie that is going to affect every area of your love, those arenas of your life that have lies. Any area of your life that is not under the influence of glistening hope is under the influence of a lie. What area of your life does not have glistening hope? There's a lie there, somewhere. You don't believe you're going to succeed? Who told you that? There's a lie there. You don't believe God's going to be good to you? Who told you that? There's a lie there. If there's not glistening hope and earnest expectation of the good, you're under the influence of a lie. You don't believe you're going to succeed? You don't believe your marriage is going to work? And what, what, I don't care what it is. Wherever it's not, that's where, the, that's where the lie lives. False paradigms and fear, false beliefs. We're afraid. We're, all, we're off on that. This is what keeps us from the prophetic, receiving the prophetic, and even ministering the prophetic. Indifference. Indifference can be good. And indifference can be bad. Indifference is good when you don't really care about the way people, it's not that you don't care, but you refuse to be affected by what people think. When you refuse to be affected by what people think or what people feel, that's a good indifference. Because the Lord has told you something, 
It's not that you don't care what people say. It's just that I know you're saying that, but I refuse to be affected by that. I'm going forward. That's good indifference. Bad indifference is when you don't care about the things of the Lord. That is a bad indifference. Bad indifference. In other words, "Ah, I don't really care about the prophetic. It really doesn't mean that much to me. I don't care about spiritual gifts. It doesn't mean that much to me either. I don't really care about church. I don't care about the Bible. I don't care about Jesus. I don't care about the Spirit. Pick one. That's a bad indifference. When you don't care or you refuse to allow what is spoken to you to affect you, that's a problem. Third reason to keep the prophetic doesn't operate or doesn't, doesn't happen is a failure to act or respond. A lot of you have been given prophetic word. The Lord, and what it can look something very much as simple as this. God has told you to do something. He may have given you two or three things around that, and you haven't done it, and therefore you can't hear anything else, or there's not any other word for you because you didn't do what he told you to do. You have failed to act and respond. And one of the reasons we fail to act and respond, I'll give you the reasons. They're not excuses. They need to be dealt with. Number one is that we don't know what we're doing. Well, who does? God may tell you to do something. You may completely be clueless. That's fine. Now you go, how do you want me to do it? You relate, everything he tells you is to be related back to him, right? So we fail to respond or we fail to act. Then another reason that we do it, and I'll give you, the, I'll give you this one, is it, it seems insignificant to us. God tells you to do something, and you think, what does that matter? I'm saying, what, what, what's the significance of that? And I can speak from experience, right? We shared first service. Man does not live by bread alone, but what? that comes forth from his mouth. So it's not just the logos, it's the rhema. We don't live by bread alone. We don't just live by the Bible. Hello, click, 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 click. I don't know, that doesn't compute. That doesn't compute. We only live by the Bible. You live by the Bible, but you also live by the rhema word of God, the prophetic word of God. The prophetic word of God always lines up with the scripture so you don't have to freak out and go, oh my gosh. It's always going to line up. He and his spirit are one, one and the same. Spirit, the book was written by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the book. But we don't just live by logos, we live by rhema. Rhema is revealed words specifically to you, for you, and through you. God is going to tell you something over your life and for your life. And until you do it, nothing else happens. Had a guy for a service, he said, God told you, he said, man, you're nailing me on that. He said, I felt like God told me to do this. And he said, it's been three or four years. He's like, I've been afraid. And he's like, I've been wondering why everything was shut down in my life. And I said, so what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to start doing what he told me. It's funny how that works. Because the way God instructs us, it's linked in a chain. This leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. Well, we get this and we think, how does this have anything to do with that? And so we just kind of put it over here in the corner. And we live in Neverland because what you really want will never happen because you live in Neverland because you won't do what he's told you to do. This is why Christianity is dull and has almost no effect on people. Oh, we love Jesus. We're born again. We're saved. We worship Jesus. We get a little warm fuzzy and we get a little couple of goosebumps on Sundays. But really, it doesn't have the effective, dynamic, life-changing, world-changing power that it is intended to have result is this. We just, we, or the reason is because of, of ourselves. Next slide. When you get a prophetic word, you should have a phone. You should record it. When the prophets in the Old Testament spoke, they had a scribe writing it down. Why? Because the dullest pencil is greater than the sharpest mind. You need to have a phone. The guy I told you that came back to me four months ago, he recorded every word I was telling him. 
I don't even remember what, he, what I told him, but he said he would go back and listen to it. And he said there were little things that I'd said that didn't mean anything to him at the time, but God started highlighting it to him once he, st once I st he started listening to it. You take the word, you relate it back to the Lord, and then you begin to develop an action plan. Next slide, please. Prophetic word may accentuate the obvious. Okay, so here it is. So the prophetic word may accentuate the obvious. When you're getting a prophetic word, I gave a guy the word this morning, and the reason that I did was because when I was praying about this and putting it together, he kept showing me Raul, right? So if you get a prophetic word, it may accentuate the obvious. So this guy sitting here this morning, his name's Raul, he's got a kid, he's married, and I said, I feel like the Lord is highlighting your fatherhood, right? You say, well, that's not a profound spiritual word, Kevin. Uh, duh, the guy's got a kid. So what word is that, that he has a kid? And I felt like what the Lord was telling him was to highlight and prioritize this season of his life as a father in, to his daughter. And I felt like in my heart he was being conflicted as to what he should do. And I said, I feel like the Lord is telling you that if you have any doubt, you need to identify and, and, and purposely spend the intimate time with your daughter. And I felt like the Lord was saying that from that relationship, he was going to develop intimacy with his daughter that would last a lifetime, even though his daughter's very small. So it may be something that accentuates the obvious. Duh, he's a dad. You know, it wasn't profound, revelatory. It was just an accentuation of what was already there, an affirmation of what was already going on. This is what prophetic word can be. Calls out identity and purpose. Gives instruction and teaching. May speak of a current circumstance or a future result. We were doing worship night here one time. Guy was here. I walked up to him at the end. I said, I keep seeing an oval conference table. And I said, I see this big oval table. There's a bunch of people sitting around it. I told him, I said, the room's like green, but the room wasn't, the room wasn't really the emphasis. It was the table. And there was all of these people sitting around it. And I said, and I see somebody taking a, cack, a stack of cash and sliding it to you. I said, does that mean anything to you? And he said, and his friend's like looking at him like, what? And he said, yeah. He said, I, I have an office. And he said, the walls are green. And he said, we have a blonde oval specifically oval conference table and he said and I'm in negotiation right now with a vendor who owes me a lot of money and he said and we're trying to resolve it well I didn't know that but what it was is the word spoke to a current circumstance and declared a future result I said I feel there's going to be some kind of settlement I don't know what it is it may not be all you want I don't know what it is but I see a, a stack of cash being slid your way right Calls out identity and purpose, accentuates. I want to share this with you heart to heart because this is important. I shared this story before, but this is a, 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 just a clear one. There's other ones, but this one's probably one of the most clear ones. We're doing fire starters here, and uh, a girl brought a friend who was here, and we were all doing fire starters. This is how we activate you in the Holy Spirit. We give you a little taste, move you on to school, the prophetic. We train you. So by the way, the people that will be ministering the prophetic word have all been trained through the school of the prophetic. They're not just random people that have come out of the crowd and decide to stand along the wall and give you a word. They're trained, all right? So we do train them and equip them to the highest ability that we can. But this girl was here at Firestarters, and you know, we were sharing. I encouraged the people to bring their friends. So bring your friends so we can, you know, activate this stuff. And they brought, she, she came, and one woman looked at her and goes, I just see you like as a willow tree swaying by the river. That's what she said. And she goes, does that mean anything? She's like, oh, that's nice. And I, and I know symbolisms, and, and a willow tree is a, is a prophetic symbol for mourning. And so I said, have you lost anything recently? Are you mourning anything or anyone recently? And her friend, again, like freaked out. She starts crying. Her brother had recently been killed in Iraq, like within two months ago. No, I didn't know that. So what does that mean? 
What it means is, is that the Lord looks at her and says, I know you. In the midst of all of these people, I know you. I know what hurts you. I know what bothers you. I know the depth of your pain. I see you. I hear you. I feel you. I care. That's what the ministry of the prophetic is supposed to do. It's supposed to bond the heart to the Father. This is what the Lord says. And almost the majority of the time, not 100%, but the majority of the time, particularly if it's an intimate word, it goes right to the heart. Right into the heart. You know, that girl, you know, she, she walked away from this. You know, if you ever lost anybody, you're wondering, does anybody care? You know what I'm talking about? The world just keeps moving on. It's like, I just lost a loved one. And the world, does anybody see? Does anybody care? Does this matter to anybody? And what the Lord is saying is he shows, this matters to me. I know you lost your brother. He doesn't, none of these people know you did, but I do. And I show, I'm putting you like a tree by the water and I'm showing you that I see you. I see you. This is how it works. This is why it's so valuable. It's a powerful transformer to the church. Okay? Prophet, priest, king. Without the honor of prophetic ministry, the church will go nowhere. I've asked the Lord for kingdom. I want rulership. I want dominion. I don't want a cancer here, and then six years later we see cancer here and over here, and then we see this person's knee here, and then two years later we see another knee healed. I don't want hit and miss. I want dominion. We were born for dominion. We are born for kingdom. We are promised the kingdom. We are heirs of the kingdom. We are manifestors and revealers of the kingdom. So why don't we see it? Because we don't know what we're doing. And we're too dull or we're too arrogant to ask, actually ask the Father what the problem is. Because we think we're, we're just geniuses. We're just know-it-alls. Or we live in doctrines that are 100 years old, never building upon them. We, don't, we just leave them there. Nobody builds on them. Or we shift. Or we create a new doctrine that says God isn't doing anything. I've asked the Lord. I went dominion. I went rulership. You know, maybe I don't bat 1,000, but I'm going to bat 800. How you doing? Maybe I don't bat 1,000, but I'm about 600. I'm going to do a little bit better than 50%. How are you doing? That's what I want. I want dominion. I want rulership over any and all things that are rightfully mine that Jesus blood bought for me. And I don't want to talk about it. I want to experience it. And so my question is, how do we experience it? It's funny when you start communing with the Lord and you actually act like you don't know anything. This is what we do. We act like we know everything. We go before the Lord like know-it-alls, and that's why he can't talk to you. You know it all. He's fine. You know, you know, oh, that's cool, that's good. He'll leave you. You have to come like a child. I don't know anything. Show me what I don't know, show me what I know wrong, and show me what is right. That's how you approach the Lord. If you think you're a genius and you know everything and he can't instruct you, or your theology's in the way of his commandments or his will, you've got a problem and you'll never change. I dismantled everything I knew. I was come from charismatics, I saw it, but I was all hit and miss. And I even hear him now, well, you know, maybe God wants to do this, maybe God doesn't. God always wants to heal, 100% of the time. God always wants to speak a prophetic word, 100% of the time. The problem is me, not him. The problem is, is I am not in the place to manifest the power, or am I not in a position to hear and see what he wants to do? The problem is never the Lord's, it's ours. And until we start taking that responsibility, nothing's going to change. Because you keep thinking it's well, he didn't want, Jesus just didn't feel like doing it today. I ask him every time, what do you want to do? I want to heal. Mickey sent me that text last week about the guy that got the back healed. I'm like, what do you want to do? And the Lord's like, I want to heal. So I ask people, stand up. You want healing? Do. Why? Because he wants to heal. 100% of the time. Prophetic word, I've never had him one time go, ah, I don't have anything to say. 
Have you? I've never had him one time. Had no one time. Hanks leads the prophetic ministry here. And not one time have I ever go, you know, we got, and Jesus is like, ah, I don't have anything to say to that person. I got nothing to say. Not once. He always has something to say. But it's prophet, priest, and king. Until we value the prophetic, and until we correctly understand the prophetic, it looks like this. Prophetic ministry, priestly ministry, kingdom, dom- kingdom dominion. You can't get to kingdom dominion until you go through prophetic. You can't, get through, you can't get to priestly ministry until you go through prophetic. So what it looks like is having an understanding and a relationship to what this prophetic stuff actually is and beginning to minister it. That's priestly ministry. Priestly ministry is one to the, unto the Lord. It's to the Lord, from the Lord, unto each other. That's how it looks. That's what it means to be a priest. But you can't minister to the Lord, and you certainly can't be ministered to from the Lord until you understand how he speaks. You see, hear, and feel as he does, and then we minister one to the other. So we do priestly, so we go king, we go prophet, priestly, and then all of a sudden we actually start activating this stuff, and what do we see? We see kingdom dynamic. We see doctors going, I don't understand where the cancer went. Where'd the cancer go? I don't understand how this tumor shrank. We had a lady here, she had a nodule on her breast for 18 months. 18 months, not a cyst that comes and goes, a nodule that they thought was going to become cancerous. We prayed over her last week. She doesn't have any nodule anymore. You tell me. Where'd it go? Doctor's like, I don't know. It's just not there anymore. I don't know. We write this down. I don't know. This is a mystery. Did we get that test right? I don't know if that test was right. Might be something in the test. I'm just telling you. So here it is. How do you receive a word? Anybody going to get a word today? Have I boosted you at all to get a word? You should want a word today. You should be like, I don't know, I'm going to get something. Number one, you got to be hungry for it. You got to want it. I didn't say you have to understand it. See, I didn't say you had to understand it. I just said you got to want it. I don't know, I don't understand what this is. I don't have any idea, but I'm going to see. What is it? You know, want it. Hungry for it. Value it. Record it. Then once you've done that, meditate on it. Search the heart. Does this line up with your heart? Does this line up with your identity? Does this line up with the purpose of who you are? And create an action plan around it and do it. I had several people several years ago give me the word, you're a builder, you're a builder, you're a builder, you're a builder. Different people, different places, different times. Builder. Kept getting builder. Right? Now, I used to be in a construction business, and I'm like, oh, I could be like, well, maybe they're picking up on that. I used to be a builder. Maybe God's calling me back into the building business. Maybe that's what he's doing. You know what you do? You took the word, I offered it to him. I said, what are you saying off this? He's like, I want you to build for me. Everything I show you, I want you to build it. So I take the word. I don't try to figure it out and go, oh, here's what it means. Oh, no, I think it means this. Or what do you think that word means for me? Who cares? Let the Lord minister it to you. Let him tell you. What are you saying, Lord? And he's saying, I'm telling you that what I show you, you build. Building is your nature. You are a builder. Primary part of who you are. That's what you are. You're not going to be good at a lot of things. This is you're going to be you're going to stink at. You're going to be kind of okay with this. You're going to be pretty good here, but this is what you're going to be good at. This is your wheelhouse. This is what I want from you. You mean you're not telling me to go back into building construction? That's what we do. I got a word that I was a builder, so I guess I should leave the ministry and go back and build houses. That's what I should do. That's what we do. Minister it back to the Lord. Receive it back from the Lord. Let it bear witness in your heart, and then take an action plan. What am I going to do? Well, guess what? I'm going to ask, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? What do you want to build, Lord? What do you want to do? Next slide. Last slide. Was that the last slide? That was the last slide. All right. So if the prophetic team would have had their way over yonder, I'm just going to close with prayer. All you got to do is just go stand up. It's nothing weird. It's nothing freaky. You're not going to get like, somebody's going to yell at you, spit at you, or throw anything on you.
You know, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be very conversational. That's how we minister the prophetic here. We don't strike a pose. You won't hear, thus saith the Lord. You won't hear that either. It's very, it's naturally supernatural. That's how we do it. Everything here is naturally supernatural. Nothing weird. Everything Jesus did was in the flow of the day. You know, nothing weird. If you look at how Jesus ministered to anybody, you're not going to go weird. Wow, what happened to him there? Man, he, he glowed, he like, like lightning started firing out of him and he started screaming. You're not going to find that. Everything he did was just in, in, in natural relationship to people. Supernatural coming out of him in very natural ways. And that's how you and I are designed. So we're going to pray. There's going to be several people over there for prophetic word. They'll coach you. Don't feel bad if you've got to wait. Just wait. Who cares? Say so the football game's on. Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> we can wait. Get a word from the Lord, man. Let him speak. Hunger for what he has for you. Let me bless you. We'll dismiss. We'll keep the music down low, but there'll be ministry. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll just let it, let it happen. So just go for it. Get your phone out and record it. So, Father, we just thank you so much for what you've given, for what you're doing. I just activate your prophetic spirit. I put hunger in the hearts of these people. Even if they're feeling a little nervous and unsure about it, I just pray you just kick them and say, go for it. Just go for it. Enjoy the ride. Or get on the bus. Get, take a ride. Get in there. Father, we just release that out. Just that go for it attitude. And Lord, I just release your spirit and your blessing over everyone here. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you and be gracious to you. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. on it. It's like Jesus. He's working on you. He's not done yet, right? Aren't you glad? So, uh, or prayer with fasting. And so we're going to talk about prayer today. And I want to show you what the Bible would give to us is a
My soul, my.
if you're giving your offering, having coffee or getting an apple, just make your way in here as soon as possible. We're going to start. Hit white on there. There you go. And uh, Sherry wanted me to make sure that I told you that there was no words because we're working on things here, as you can say. Everybody say, they're working on it. They are. We're working on it. It's like Jesus. He's working on you. He's not done yet, right? Aren't you glad? So uh, I'm, we're changing some things around here technically. And apparently in my zeal to get it done, I somehow disconnected the projectors from the back. <laughs> but, you know, we're getting the TV working, so that's good. We're getting, we're getting, the vision is starting to unfold. It's starting to come together. So we will be projecting on the TV this morning. Yes. So turn your attention to it. We're doing a teaching on fasting because we are fasting until the end of the month. And uh, just to kind of give you guys some grace in all this, it, it's like there's different ways you can fast. And a couple of you, you know, you're like, oh, man, I've had a hard time. You know, I had food yesterday. I just totally broke down. It's like, well, whatever. The, the idea is, like, figure out what you can do and what you can't do. Like, and you got to go into it with a mindset. you got to go into it with what you want to accomplish. And so you go into it with like a hardcore attitude, like I'm going to do this and I'm going to seek the Lord. Or maybe you pick one day, maybe you pick three days, maybe you don't fast the, 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 the food, you fast something else. But the idea of fasting is giving up something in place of hungering for the things of God. That's the whole point of fasting. Fasting is not merely to torture yourself and to be tormented and saying, I'm not going to eat meat for 21 days. And then I come home and my son and his friend are challenged cheeseburgers. In, in the living room, big whopping cheeseburgers. I walk in, I'm like, oh, this is great, fantastic. You guys cook them in the house because I can smell it, you know? That the point is not to be tortured. The point is, is just to change your appetites and to seek God. And just an, another clue before we get into the teaching is that when you're fasting and you're not in the spirit, you don't really feel like a great person. I don't know if any of you have been experiencing that, okay? So you're fasting and you're like, man, I don't, I don't really feel anything. I feel more depressed than I feel anything else because... I love you guys. This is awesome. The, because you're, you're not in the spirit. You know, when you get in the spirit, when you're fasting, you sense the power of the fast. When you're not in the spirit, you sense the pain of the fast. You understand? So, like, we just had prayer night here on Friday night, and it was like a whole other level. We pray once a month here, intercessory. We're going to pray every Friday um, for this specific, specific month. And I typically am here for all of the prayer and leave out the prayer night. And I noticed that this prayer night was a whole other, was like a completely different level of prayer. I don't know if any of you who come to prayer noticed that this was a completely different stat, strata of prayer that we were praying. And, and more than likely, the idea is because we're fasting. So the point being is that when you're fasting, worship. Begin to worship God. Begin to pray. Begin to thank God. Begin to honor God. Begin to read your Bible. Begin to get in the spirit because that's the whole point. Fasting produces heightened spiritual sensitivity. But that heightened spiritual sensitivity has to be activated. You understand? It just doesn't come to you naturally. You have to move into the spirit in order for that to happen. So that's my encouragement to you. And if you are, you're not having a hard time making this full 21 days, then pick something. Pick one day. And if you're going to do one day, do Friday. That's what I tell people. Go for Friday because that's when we're praying. So then you can kind of be in agreement with everyone and just kind of line it out that way. You know? Or you can go hardcore and go 21 days. My wife's looking at me going, you're going to do 21 days? I go, yeah, I'm going to leave the church and for, in a fast for 21 days, and I'm not going to do it, you know? I'll get a surrogate, you know? That's my person. He's fasting for me. <laughs> I'm going to eat pizza while he fasts. That's what I'm going to do. But today we're going to talk about prayer. Prayer has to 
to accompany fasting. The whole idea was fasting and prayer, or prayer with fasting. And so we're going to talk about prayer today, and I want to show you what the Bible would give to us as a model prayer. Many of us know it's the Lord's Prayer. Some of you are familiar with this. Some of you are not familiar with this. Um, so either way, it's going to bless you. The first question that I have is prayer, and what is it? Anybody ever ask that question? Maybe you're more spiritual than me. But you have to, you know, the Bible gives us these things, and one of the things that it, it, it makes these statements, and it encourages you to engage the statement with a question. I don't know if you're aware of that. Jesus, we, we're like the disciples. Jesus would say these profound things, and the disciples would just kind of stand there and shake their head like they knew exactly what he was talking about. Have you ever actually read the things Jesus said? If he didn't explain it, it would be, it would be almost impossible to understand what he was talking about. Peter was the one that was different than all of the apostles. Brian tapped the thing there. Sorry. I think you, I, you might unplug it. Jesus was, Peter would go to Jesus and he would say, what does this mean? He wasn't content to just simply listen to this stuff and have it go over his head and pretend like he knew what he, what, what he was doing. Jesus wanted, or Peter wanted to understand what Jesus was actually saying. What does this mean? And so we ask this idea, what is prayer? And when you're understanding the scripture, one of the, one of the methods of understanding the scripture is called grammatical understanding, if you want to get theological. And so what does that mean? It means you have to go back to the original language and look at the original grammar, look at the original word, and gain the understanding from the original language. That's, what, that's, how we under, that's one of the ways we understand and discern the Bible. Old Testament's written in Hebrew. New Testament's written in Koine Greek, a specific type of Greek called Koine. And so the word prayer in Koine, and you're going to say this with me so that you all aren't going to be laughing at me. I'm going to be laughing at you when you're saying it too. Okay? Prosuximai. Someone help me out. Prosuximai. See, we just spoke Greek today. Prosuximai is where we get the word proximity. So prayer is proximity. Prayer is nearness. The word pros means towards, proximity. So prayer is to draw towards, to draw near. So if we're praying, we're drawing close, we're drawing near, we're moving in proximity towards the Lord. Uxamai means to exchange. So we draw near to God. This is the essence of prayer. We draw near to God to create an exchange. And what are we exchanging? We're exchanging praise. We're exchanging worship. We're exchanging will. We're exchanging desire. We're exchanging requests. So prayer is two-way street. Prayer is just not you seeking God. There's something called meditative prayer, where you're just meditating and listening to the sounds of heaven and listening to what God is saying to you. And God reveals his will to you through this meditative prayer. God reveals his visions and things like that through when you're praying to him. And so prayer is proximity. Prayer is prosuximai. It's to draw near in order to exchange. Does that make sense to you? So you understand what prayer actually is. It's not just words in the air praying and saying things just randomly. It's drawing near and exchanging something. You're exchanging something with the Lord. Fasting is what's fa purpose of fasting is it's an intentional hunger for the purposes and the will of God. So fasting isn't torture. It's a shifting of appetite. You're setting aside an earthly appetite and you're intentionally making yourself, forcing yourself into a position that says, I will be hungry for the things of the Spirit. I am going to intentionally feed on the things of the Spirit in place of these things. What prayer is, is prayer is the bridge that enables heaven's power to come into our world. It's very important to understand. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. 
the sovereign God, the king of all glory, has delegated certain aspects of his, of his sovereignty. It doesn't mean that he's not in charge. It doesn't mean that he's not, in, he's not all powerful. It means that he's given the authority to someone else and expects us to use it. So he does not do anything unless he's asked. There are other areas where he is completely sovereign and he doesn't share that. And we'll talk about that. His holiness he doesn't share. His righteousness he doesn't share. In other words, he doesn't give mankind the ability to determine what is holy. It's his alone. He doesn't give mankind the ability to determine what is right and wrong. It's his alone. But he does give us the ability to interact with him and to invite him into our world. Jesus will not help you in your marriage if you don't ask him. He won't. He can stand right there with his arms folded, staring at you, looking at the problem, fully aware of the problem, fully fully conscious and willing to help, but he will not come unless you ask. He will not change our land. He will not shift our city. He will do nothing in these realms unless we invite him. We must request. We must pray. Next slide. Everybody say 2 Chronicles 7.14. Very important verse on prayer. And if you have a Bible or if you have your phone and you can highlight it in your verse, you should highlight these two words that I'm about to give you. If and then. This starts off with this. If my people pray. If. In other words, nothing's going to happen unless my people pray. That's the idea. So if we don't if, then there is no then. If my people who are called by my name, that's you and me, humble ourselves. Again, the idea of fasting, humility, lowering yourself. Seek my face. Seek my face. That's to seek his face and not just his hand. There's different things of seeking. We seek his glory. We seek his will. We seek his beauty. We seek his honor. That's what it means to seek his face, not just his hand. If you will seek my face, turn from your wicked or your selfish ways, then when will he hear? When we if, right? He only then hears when we if. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive sin, and I'll heal the land. God's not going to heal the land unless we pray. God's not going to do a movement of forgiveness. God's not going to be a, bring a salvation revival. God's not going to bring a revival of any kind unless we pray. There will be no movement of forgiveness. There will be no movement of healing. There will be no movement of, of restoration within the land unless the people of God begin to ask for it. Does that mean God doesn't want to do it? Absolutely not. God wants to do it more than you want to do it. But what prayer means is, do as it matter to you. God wants to know if it matters to you. If it matters to you, then pray. If it matters to you, then call out for it. It matters to God, but he wants to make sure it's a partnership. He wants to make sure that it matters to you. Luke chapter 11. Disciples come to Jesus and they ask him for something. Now, these dudes have been traveling with Jesus, and he had a group of 12, he had a group of 70, and he had a group of about 350. So Jesus had multiple layers of, of an entourage, right? So he would travel with the full posse sometimes, and other times there would be partial parts of him. But these 12 were with him wherever he went. They watched Jesus perform power, manifest power. They watched Jesus preach and proclaim the kingdom. But they never asked him to preach, to teach him to preach. And they never asked him to teach him how to manifest power. They watched him do it. They watched him proclaim Sermon on the Mount, chapter 4, 5, and 6, I think, of Matthew, part of 7. One message that Jesus proclaimed. We study it to this day. Can you imagine how many other messages they heard him proclaim? You know, they probably heard these amazing things, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, nobody talks like this. Where does, he, where does this come from? 
They watched him perform miracles, raise the dead, heal the sick, manifest, multiply food. They watched him do it. And they didn't ask him, teach us to do that. They didn't ask us, teach us to teach like you teach. They said, teach us to pray. Why? Because they made the connection from following him that when he went to preach, it was after he prayed. When he performed power and demonstrated power, it was after he prayed. So they were like, okay, let's get this straight. So Jesus was up on the hill. He was gone for three days. We're all just kind of hanging out here, you know, doing our thing, playing cards, you know, whatever it is we're doing, waiting for Jesus to come back. Jesus comes back after three days and praying, and all of a sudden, miracles are going on everywhere. All right, that was pretty cool. So Jesus just comes out, out, of, out of the wilderness um, from, from fasting and praying, and he shows up, and he proclaims the kingdom, and he teaches a message that we're all still trying to figure out. So what's the link here? The link is not the preaching or the power. The link is the prayer. So the prayer incorporates this. So they said, teach us to pray. What's the key to your power, Jesus? What's the key to your revelation? What's the key to your understanding? That's what he, they were asking him for. And he said, when you pray, say this. Let's just say it together. You guys know this. Come on. Our Father. Come on. Say it like you mean it. So what we've understood this to be is the teaching of like a mantra. And so we, like, you know, say 10 Our Fathers and, you know, four Hail Marys or whatever it is. And so we end up saying Our Father. Jesus didn't give us this prayer as a repetition because he actually instructs us, do not speak prayers in vain repetition like the Pharisees, the religious people. They just kept saying the same prayer over and over again. So they think they'll be heard for their many words. So Jesus clearly isn't giving this as a repetition. And it's okay to pray it and encourage yourself with it. That's not the point. But what he gave us as prayer is, is like a model. He gave us permission. Next slide. He gave us permission and purpose within the... Well, I'll leave that up there. That's our website, by the way. In case you didn't um, I, I put on the top here, you can see there's a model prayer guide. There's like a... What I'm going to teach you today and what I'm going to talk to you about today, there's a guide on the website that you can click. It's a PDF. You can put it on your phone, tablet, whatever you want to do with it. I print it out, but it's like... 13 pages long, and if you say, why is it so long? Because it's full of verses, right? So it's kind of verses and instructions. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about what it means to pray through this, this model, this outline that Jesus gave us. And on that PDF guide, there's going to be verses related to the things that I'm talking about. And so the goal is for you to read the verses and pray in concert with the, the outline. And anytime you begin to pray and you incorporate scripture into your prayer, you're again, you're activating power. You're activating power. Okay? We're so afraid of power in the church. Jesus told the disciples, you shall receive what? Okay? Say it again. You shall receive. Right. You'll get tickled. You'll get the warm fuzzies. You'll, you know, you're going to receive uh, a perfectly ordered life. That's not what he said. You're going to receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. So the promise is of power. And so the idea is to begin to learn and activate and incorporate and walk in the power that God has made available to us. So that prayer guide is there. It's got verses. Also, if you're on our email list, I'm going to be emailing you um, uh, an MP3 file where you'll have access to an MP3 file. And it's essentially me praying the Lord's Prayer. And you say, well, why do we got to listen to you pray the Lord's Prayer? I'm not doing it just to you know, let you guys hear me. I'm trying to show you what it looks like to pray the Lord's Prayer. 
And so you'll hear me praying the Lord's Prayer, and I'm praying out the verses that are related to it, and it kind of goes off in some different directions because the Spirit's involved. And if you've ever prayed, you're like, you know, the Holy Spirit starts taking you into these different arenas and directions while you're praying. So the point of the, the MP3 is to see, is to kind of have a model of what it looks like to pray this way. The purpose of the PDF is to give you the scriptures and the, the outline so that you can see it yourself and understand it yourself. This prayer is a key to power, okay? If Jesus is saying, this is how you pray, okay, there's something there. We may not fully understand it. We may not fully be operating in it, but he's giving us something that's insanely significant. And so we should press into it in order to go farther with it. So the model of prayer is, is intentional prayer, that we are to intentionally pray this way, and we are to pray, this prayer gives you permission. Oftentimes Christians don't know how to pray, they don't know what to pray for, they don't understand it at all, and they even feel like, well, should I pray for that? Am I allowed to pray for that? Does that, does that does the, you know, and we get all weird about that, that's humans. And so the model prayer gives you permission into all of these areas. And it starts off with, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The reason that the prayer starts off this way is because the Bible says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with thank you very much. And it actually tells us, Come before the Lord with singing. That's another part of that same verse. So that's the whole point. And so God, Jesus is showing us in line with the word that when we come before God to pray, we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so what this does, this whole part here, our Father is in heaven. The idea of Father is very significant because nobody up until that time regarded God as Father. They referred to him in a Hebrew word called Elohim. Elohim means supreme judge. So they would, Elohim, you know, Euro Israel, Elohim, Adonai is Elohim is one, is a hod. They would always refer to God as Elohim. So they understood God as the supreme judge or master of the universe. That's what they would refer to him as. But they certainly wouldn't refer to him as father. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you something that you're going to have an ability to do. So when we come before God and we honor him as father, we're doing two things. We're creating intimacy with him. Intimacy, that's intimacy. So we're coming before him and we're declaring father and we're declaring a relationship that we have. And not only are you declaring the relationship that you have, the intimate relationship that you have, but you're also declaring your identity as a son or a daughter. I think you bumped the thing. We're working on it. <laughs> you're also declaring your identity as a son and a daughter. Because he's your father, therefore you're a daughter. Because he's a father, therefore you're a son. You're declaring that. So what does it look like? Father, I just come before you and I thank you that you have given me the ability to be your child, that you've given me the ability to call you father. It's because of the blood of Jesus that I have this ability. It looks something like that. Then we go into this part where we hallow or honor his name. So we bless him as our father and we honor his name. In his name are the benefits. Let's just say that together. In the name of the Lord are the benefits and the blessings. Right? So we have the name of Jesus. And that's the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. Okay, so Jesus is a compound word, so it's two words brought together. Does anybody have a name that they know what your name means? Anybody? What's your name mean, Pam? Oh, go ahead. God's Vineyard. King. Counselor. So we got the king and counselor right here. Did you know that? And you have a vineyard sitting in the front row. Fruitful. God of war. Come on. We have a king, counselor, vineyard fruitful and a god of war in the house today what's going on so
so your name declares identity. That's the way it was in the ancient world. We still practice it to this day, not so much. God's name is the same way. It's a declaration of his identity. Jesus means what? Anybody know? It means salvation. Specifically, J-E, Jehovah, Su, Jehovah saves. That's the compound name of Jesus. So Jesus' name means Jehovah saves. Jehovah is the God who saves. So Jesus is proclaiming something to us through his name. If you're Hebrew and you understand it from the Hebrew context, it's Yeshua or Yahweh saves. So the word Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God, and the word Jehovah is the Greek name for God. So that's why people go, well, where's this name Jehovah come from? The name Jehovah comes from when the, when the, when the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek. They couldn't translate that word Yahweh because of the structure of the Greek, so it ends up being translated Jehovah. And so we have Jehovah saves, which is Jesus or Yeshua, or Yahweh saves, which is Jesus. And so we bless the Father, and we bless the Son, we bless Jesus for our salvation, we honor him, we thank him that we're saved, we thank him, just, just let the thanksgiving come out of your heart. But not only do we bless Jesus, all throughout the Old Testament, God makes compound names. So what he is doing, because we need all the help we can get, does anybody know that for sure? Right? The problem is not with, uh, with him, the problem's with us, and we need a lot of help. And so God takes his name, and he unites it, and he shows us something in his name so that we can understand the benefits of what he's saying. So he'll do something called this, right? He'll do this, God is my righteousness, which means Jehovah Tzidkenu. That's what it means. And so what is he saying when he says, I am Jehovah Tzidkenu? I am the God who makes you right. That's what he's saying. And so what we're doing when we're honoring the name of God, we're honoring him for what he's done, and we're receiving the benefits of what he's done. Father, I thank you that you are the one who makes me right. I cannot be made right on my own. I cannot possibly do this on my own. I am right before you. It doesn't matter how screwed up I am. It doesn't matter how jacked up I am. If Christ is in my heart, I am right to you. Aren't you glad? That's the God who makes us right. Righteousness means what is right to the Lord. And so when you receive Christ, Jehovah makes you right. You are right now to God. You can't make yourself right. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. He makes you right. It's called imputed righteousness. That's the theological term. He imputes it. He puts it in you or on you. So we have that, and then we also have righteousness. So as a Christian, we're made right through Christ, but we're called to live after righteousness as well. This is the second side. What does that mean? It means not only am I right before the Lord, I'm called to live my life in a way that is right to Him. That's what righteousness means. So when it says that the Christian is to live righteous, okay, it means that you are to live your life in a way that is right to Him. So that I can give you a little bit of grace this morning, so you know when God tells you to live a certain way, everybody say, I can't do it on my own. It requires the Holy Spirit. You can't live right to God. Even though I'm righteous in Christ, for me to do the things that are right to him, I need the Holy Spirit to give me the power to do it. And so what, what the devil does, and what our own conscience does, is we beat ourselves up because we can't do the very things he's asking me to do. And so we feel like guilty and shameful and losers. Well, if you could do it, you wouldn't need his spirit. So he's called you to live righteously. And you can only do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. A very easy thing to understand is forgiveness. Forgiveness is righteousness to God. So I always use this as an example. You cannot forgive without the power of God. You can't. Try it out. Try it out. 
we have grudge matches going on all over the world to this day because mankind cannot forgive. Because forgiveness comes only by the power of the Spirit. Just worship and get in the Spirit and see how forgiving you are. Worship and get in the Spirit and see how loving you are. You're an entirely different person. And then get out of the Spirit and start thinking about yourself, and then all of the grudges and all of the sins and the forgiveness and all of the things that people have done to you and all the things that you disappointed in yourself over, all that stuff comes up. But it's righteous to God to forgive. But you cannot forgive without the power of the Spirit. Holy Spirit's prominent. He's, he is preeminent. He must engage in order for us to do this. So we, we honor God as our Father. We honor Jesus as our Savior. We worship Him for this. We thank Him that He's made us righteous. We thank Him that He's given us the power to live after Him. It's just this idea of worship and adoration, understanding who He is. He's our sanctifier. It's this word Jehovah Mekadesh. It means to set apart. What does that mean? It means that God has called you out of darkness and into light. It also means that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Kind of like our lights and everything. He's not done with you yet. He's working on you. Okay? He's working on you. He's changing you. He's changing your attitudes. He's revealing things about you that are not correct. Not to shame you, but to change you. He's showing you things about yourself in love and grace because it's kind of like, Kevin, that's, you know, you're a little off there. In order for us to go, Lord, I'm totally messed up. I, I can't do it. In order for you to give it back to him, in order for him to change you. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Holy Spirit throws all your junk out of the closet, in case you don't know that. Okay? He makes room for himself in you. If you want him, he, won't only, he will only take the rooms that you let him in. And lots of Christians don't let the Holy Spirit into all the rooms. I'm just saying it. There are lots of Christians that have areas in their life where they have never allowed the light of the gospel to shine and the darkness remain. Doesn't mean they're not saved. Doesn't mean they're not forgiven. But they abide that darkness because they have not let the light of the gospel into that area. They have not let the Holy Spirit into that room. But what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into the room? Boom! He comes in and he just starts chucking stuff out the door. That's what happens. All your junk comes out. And you're like, I'm such a loser. It's not that you're a loser. He's just drawn it all out of you. You don't need this. What do you mean? This is 1972, man. What do you got that? Get rid of that. You know, he's throwing all this stuff around, you know. And then there are things where he'll sit you down at the table and go, okay. Some of the stuff it had to go. You knew it had to go. I knew it had to go. But let's talk about these things. You know, and then there's other things that he wants to engage you on. Are you willing to let this go? I know you're emotionally attached to this. I know the pain of your childhood. You have an emotional attachment to it. I know that. You don't really want to let that go. But I need you to let it go. But I don't want to let it go. Okay, well, let's just put that in a box for now. We'll come back and we'll deal with that later. He'll let you hold on to the things that you're emotionally attached to. Anybody ever tried to clean out somebody's house? Right? Oh, you can't let that go. Oh, we can't throw that away. You know, and you go in there to clean out a room and you end up walking out with a little box of stuff that they, this is all they could let go, you know, the rest of it, you know. That's the way the Holy Spirit is. He'll let you keep all the junk you want and he'll keep coming back to you and trying to do it. And you can carry that junk with you for the rest of your life if you don't want to deal with it how he is, but he's a sanctifier. And so we welcome him into our life to sanctify us. Anything the Holy Spirit wants to get rid of, he's doing it for a reason. He knows, so he wants to do something far more than you want, so we honor God as our sanctifier. He's the one who sets us apart. He's Jehovah Jireh. Anybody know what that means? He's our provider. He's our provider in every way. He is our provision, past, present, and future. He provides for us in every way. And so we acknowledge God, and we thank God that I am a, not an orphan. We thank God that I am not an outcast. We thank you that I am a son 
And as a son, you are my provider. In my, as a provider, I will want for nothing. You begin to pray and you begin to interact with God based upon his name. Do you know what he says about his name? My name I place above my word. There's only one thing more higher than his word, and it's his name. And he says, I, hey, I arise to perform my word. So can you imagine you're invoking his name and his word at the same time? You're calling him out on who he is. When somebody calls out God on who he is, he arises. He says, yep, that's me. Yep, that's what I do. Yep, that's me. The part, problem is, is we're not partnering in understanding who he is. We're not accessing the things that are ours by right of inheritance. You have right to these things. They are yours by right. And here's the thing with our culture. We're just so down. Well, I just feel guilty. I just, I don't have any rights. I'm just a loser sinner. That's how we teach Christians to think. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. I'm sorry to tell you that. You need to go back and reread your Bible and get your theology straight because that is not the God of the Bible. He's the God of blessing, the God of abundance, the God of provision, the God of purpose, and the God of power. That is the God of the Bible. And this God is for you. It's for you. And he heaps it on you. And you don't even deserve it. That's why grace is amazing. You don't deserve it. What would you do to do this? Nothing. You asked. You understood. There are Christians who access things because they understand what's positionally theirs. There are other Christians who never access things because they don't understand what is positionally theirs, or they do understand it, but they never engage it. We have to press in for what is yours. It is God's will that you be provided for, period. People, places, and things. Somebody's going to have a job. Somebody's going to get paid. Somebody's going to be promoted. My Bible reads you're a child of God. My Bible reads you're the, the bread is for the children. My Bible reads that I am the head and not the tail above only and not beneath. Positions, promotions, and provisions are mine according to covenant right. This may not be the job for me, but by God, he's got something for me. According to the word of God, who are you going to believe? Whose report are you going to believe? What agreement are you going to make? That's the point. God is your banner. That's Jehovah Nisi. He's your victory. He's the God who overshadows you with victory. This idea of banner, he places his love over you. He invites you to his banqueting table, Song of Solomon says, and he puts a banner over you that says love. Do you know when the, when the spirit, when the angels see you in the spirit, do you know what they see over you? Love. Love. Marked of the Lord. Loved of the Father. Do you know when the devil sees you, you know what he sees? Marked of the Lord. Loved of the Father. What do you see when you look in the mirror? I don't know. I see a lot of bad things. You should look in the mirror and go, marked of the Lord, loved of the Father. Why? Because the Bible says so. He brought me to his banqueting table, and he placed his banner over me, his tapestry. It's a war banner, Mario. There you go, God of war. It's a war banner, and he is declaring war. He's declaring war. You are the apple of his eye, and you are loved of him. He's your shepherd, Psalm 23. You should never be without leadership. You should never be without direction because the Lord is your shepherd. He will guide you. Your kingdom, where are we going? Jehovah Shammai is always there. That's the abiding presence and the manifest presence. It's a whole different thing. We know about the abiding presence. Oh, we believe Jesus is with me wherever I go. We believe that. But do you know what the manifest presence is? The manifest presence is the presence that gives you the ability to experience him different dimensions entirely okay entirely different couldn't be further apart manifest presence 
One example of it is when you're worshiping God and the presence of God is coming over you. That's manifest presence. Manifest presence is to make known, okay? So we have the abiding presence where he's with us, moving around. You know, we know, okay, the Lord's with me. I got it. I believe that. God's with me. He doesn't leave me, forsake me. I got that. Manifest presence is when you're encountering him and experiencing him. Christians have access to manifest presence. Manifest presence is miracles, power, wonder, experience, prophetic. That's, that's manifest presence. That's yours again by right. So we understand that he is Jehovah Shema. I thank you, Father, that you have not just given me access to that, but you have given me access to your manifest presence. Right now, Holy Spirit, I just receive your manifest presence in the name of Jesus. I just declare your manifest presence into my circumstances. I just declare your manifest presence into my child, into my children's lives, into my family's life. I declare your manifest presence into my future, that you go before me and create the encounter, that you go before me and prepare the way. Try praying like that. Shift the universe. You say, I feel weird. Lock yourself in a room. Drive in your car. Okay? What is, we, I talked about on Friday night at prayer, what is, what is childish to us or foolish to us is honorable before God. Prayer is neglected because we don't experience it enough. We will all come to worship and experience the worship because we're getting something out of it. We're receiving ministry. But if you understand prayer to be ministry unto the Lord, it shifts the dynamic. Then you don't have to worry about getting anything out of it. I'm praying because it ministers to God. I'm praying because it blesses God. How does it bless God? Because God wants to be involved. Is there a mother in the room that doesn't want to be involved in their children's lives? I don't know any parent that doesn't want to be involved, but they want you want to be involved, right? Your father wants to be involved. So when we bless him and we pray to him and we ask him, we're calling on him, believing who he is, and we're also allowing him the opportunity to involve himself in our life. It blesses him. Mom, would you come to my choir practice? Mom, would you take me to ballet? Dad, would you come to my games? Dad, would you help me fix that? I mean, I mean he's at, they're inviting you. That's a blessing to you. You're like, wow, my kid actually wants to spend time with me. That's crazy. You see, my kid always wants to spend time with me. Well, wait till you get a teenager, and then you'll see the world shifts. That's when we start being grateful for our kids, is when they're teenagers and they start asking us. Then you're like, oh my gosh, they're asking me for something. This is great. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, I'm going to move fast, so buckle up. So that's honoring God's name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We begin to ask God that his, the word kingdom is king's dominion. We begin to ask God for his rule, his reign, to invade every facet of our life. That's what we're asking for in that prayer. King's dominion, king's dominance. So we're asking for the king's dominance to come into every area of life. We're asking that his will would be done. And we ask for his will. We have to understand his will. And even if you don't understand his will, you can still just go, Lord, I do not know what you're supposed to do there, but whatever your will is, I just pray that your will is done in that, that situation. You're inviting him. What is true in heaven would be true upon the earth. So why do we pray for his kingdom and his, and his will to be done? Well, here's some of the things that we know from Scripture that are clearly defined as his will. He wants you to know the plans that he has for you. It's his will that you understand prophetic destiny. It's his will that you understand heaven's purpose. That's his will. It's his will that people come to salvation. It's his will that we pray for people to be saved because that's his will. It's his will that we be thankful and prayerful in all things. That's his will. It's his will that we have sexual and relational purity. 
pretty clear. This is the will of God for your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It can't get any clearer than that. It's his will that you walk in the Spirit. It's his will that you prosper and be in health. This is his will. And so we call on God and we invite his will and we walk in his purposes and we declare his will. And I was just talking with a lady in the back. She says, I don't even know how to pray about this situation. And you're going to be confronted with, anybody know what I'm talking about? You want to pray about something, but you're like, just, I, I just, just, I don't even know where to begin here. You know, I just, I got nothing. I don't even know how to pray for this. Or sometimes it's so overwhelming. And something I felt like the Lord showed me was I just release the fullness of the Holy Spirit into that circumstance. I release the fullness of the Holy Spirit into my marriage, into my home, into my future, into my finances, wherever it may be. I don't know where your area is, but you just release the fullness of the Spirit. And you say, is that enough? Well, when you don't, ha when you don't know what to pray, that is enough. The Holy Spirit wants to do something ab abundantly beyond what you can imagine or think. He wants to do something greater than what you could possibly imagine, and His will is perfect, and He knows what He's doing. So even when you don't even know what to ask Him for, you just say, Lord, just whatever it is you want to do, I just release you to do whatever it is you want to do. I'm allowing you to go and do whatever it is you want to do. Next slide. We begin to pray for His kingdom to come and His will to be done. This is where we can ask. You begin to ask God for his will to be done in your life, for his kingdom to be done in your life. You have two things. Heaven gives you two things. And these are keys to everything. You have a prophetic destiny. You have a purpose by which you were created. There is a design in which you were created. There's something about you that's unique to only you. There's something that you do at a very high level that is a destiny that God has given you that you are to bring forth to the world. Whatever that is. What is that? I don't know. It's your prophetic destiny. God's will that you know your prophetic destiny, that you know what heaven speaks over you. It is God's will that you know your redemptive potential. Okay? So prophetic destiny is what, who and what you are and what you bring to the world and how you're manifested. Redemptive potential is what you are to accomplish, achieve, or partner with in this world. So we pray that we would know his prophetic will, and we pray that we would reach our full redemptive potential. I've prayed over this church all the time. That, Lord, you would reveal your prophetic will, that you would make your prophetic will known to this church, and that this church would reach its full redemptive potential, its full ability to do what we are designed to do. So not only not enough to know what God has told you to do, but that you would reach the full ability to do that. You might know what I'm talking about? Lots of people, they know what they're supposed to do. There are people I've met, they know what they're supposed to do, but they don't have the guts to even engage their redemptive potential. They're afraid. So it's not enough to know what you're supposed to do. You have to pray that the Lord will and give you the ability to reach your redemptive potential. These are just little areas. But then you pray over God's kingdom and his will in your life, over your family. What, is the, what does heaven look like to show up in your home? These are the questions. So what is God's kingdom and God's will? What does heaven look like? What would heaven look like if it showed up at your house? What would heaven look like if it showed up at your workplace? What would heaven look like if it showed up at the school or the neighborhood? That's what it means. We're praying whatever that is what we're, we're asking for. Would there be peace? Well, then be a peacemaker. Would there be love and forgiveness? Well, then bring love and forgiveness. Whatever that looks like, that's what it means. We pray for our family. Where are the areas you pray for your church? Why? The church is paramount to God's plan. You are here tomorrow, today, and you are doing the most significant thing that you could possibly do all week. You are doing more today than you, could have, than you have done the entire week. Power is coming to you. Grace is coming to you. Purpose is coming to you. The church is paramount to God's plan. To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. We quote that. And I always tell people, quote the rest of the verse. To him be glory through the church. 
the church is essential to God doing exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. It will not happen without the church. Will not. Mark it down. You have to be part of a church, part of a church family, engaged in a church family, participating in that church family, and running whatever God has called you to do with the church. That's how it works. Paraministries cannot succeed without the church. Missionaries cannot succeed without the church. It's all wishful thinking. Without the church, nothing gets done. Jesus has put the church at the center point, and he says, if you do not love the church, you do not love me. If you will not serve the church, you do not serve me. If you do not bring glory through my house and participate in what I'm doing, the way when we give to the church, you know what you're demonstrating? A love for Jesus. You're not demonstrating a love to the pastor or a love to the lights and the, 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 the tinkly things that we got going on. Oh, I love this so much, let me give. Jesus says you demonstrate your love for me by supporting my kingdom through the church. So if you do not support the church, you are not demonstrating love for God. I'm just saying. Well, I don't know. Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart is. Hello. Well, I give over here, I give over here. He's not told you to do that. That's called an offering. That's called a tithe. Let's get our theology straight. Okay? Let's get it right. Right? If we want to do what is right to God and go down the lanes that are right to him, not what's right to us. You don't have the right to determine righteousness. He has not given you the ability to determine what is right and wrong. He's told you what is right and wrong. And he says, this is right. Well, I don't agree with it. Well, then you're not walking in righteousness. You can write that down. So <laughs> that's for somebody. <laughs> but when you are walking in righteousness, blessing abides. Aren't you glad? Righteousness is about getting the abiding blessing on your life. It's not about torturing you. It's about blessing you. And God says, I can only bless you if you're here. I can't bless you over there. The lane of blessing is here, Kevin. The river is here. Get in the river. But I don't know. I don't like that water. I kind of like it over here. <laughs> well, then play in the mud. But if you want the blessing, there it is. We think we can determine it on our own way. We can't. We live in a pluralistic culture. We teach this garbage in the church. God as you understand him to be. It's not God as you understand him to be. He's not relative in these ways. He's relative in some ways, but not in these ways. What is right is what is right. What is wrong is what is wrong. I am the Lord God. I do not change. That's what he said. I don't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. We pray for the church. We pray for the pastor. It's the, it, we pray for the elders, the leaders, the vision of the church. Why do we pray for the pastor and the elders? Because the enemy wants to strike the head. How does he knock you out? If he hits you in the knee, do you get knocked out? Somebody step on your big toe, you suddenly fall unconscious. If he punches you in the head hard enough, you're going to go knocked out. That's the point. Jesus is the head of the church, but the, but the head is manifested through a leadership structure that goes pastor-elder. And so if he can punch the pastor-elder in the head hard enough, he can knock out the whole body. It's not about a person, it's about a position. You're not praying necessarily for a person, although I invite all the prayer I can get, because I need all the help I can get. But we're praying positionally for the pastor and the pastors, because it's not about the pastor, it's about the body. The, the, so you know, if you're part of a church, the oil flows over the head to the body. The anointing that comes upon, upon me and the anointing that's upon this church flows to you. Aren't you glad? 
So you're actually helping yourself by praying for the church. You're actually helping yourself by praying for your pastor elders, the vision, the purpose of the church that would be accomplished for the people, that the people of the church would be faithful. God, help us that the people be faithful, serving, giving, loving, all of that. We pray for the lost. We pray for our nation and our government. God's got a plan for the nation and the government. You think he's happy with the world? You think Jesus looks at the world today and goes, man, that's exactly what I had in mind. Thank God. That, that's totally what I wanted. Of course that's not what he wants. We have to pray. We begin to pray for our nation, our government, our leaders, that God's will would be done, his kingdom would come. What does heaven look like? What is the unrighteousness in our land? Where can we pray that God would change that? Where is the unrighteousness in our government? Where can we pray that God would change that? Where is the unrighteousness in the world? Where is the sin and the wickedness? ISIS is not God's will. FYI. Well, it's just the will of the Lord. The Lord's just let them have, you know, going out there. Yeah. God's will that people get their head cut off. That's totally, that just sounds like Jesus to me. No, it's an absence of prayer. Darkness comes in when there's a vacuum of light. When the light does not occupy the space, it creates a vacuum, and darkness will naturally fill that darkness. These things are absences of light, and so we bring the kingdom into that to dispel the light. We begin to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to keep moving real fast. What are you doing in this part? You begin to pray for your provision. So if you begin to go down this, like even as a list in order, people say they can't pray for a long time. Pray the Lord's Prayer. You'll pray for a while. I prayed it the other night and recorded it. I was an hour and 40 minutes, and it felt like 10 minutes. I mean, it was like I was in a surreal, I was in this other world. It was like, woo. When I was trying to record it, I was trying to be all like professional and everything. Blah, 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 blah. And it wasn't, I had like, man, this stinks. This isn't coming out right. And the Lord's like, well, just forget you're recording it, dude, and pray. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that. Then it changed. But we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We pray for provision, for needs. I'm a little long, just bear with me. This is worth it. This is important. This is all the stuff I wanted to say in first service, but I didn't have the time for it. So, you know, you're getting all that. So anyway, praying for provision, it's called supplication. This type of prayer is calling supplication. It means to supply. And what I would say to you is God wants to supply for you. You should not feel guilty or shameful by asking Jesus for anything. Ask. Seek, knock. He didn't put conditions on that. That's an unconditional uh, permissive, permissiveness. You ask God for provision. You ask God for needs. You ask God for wants. And you ask God for desires for yourself and for others. People go, well, I don't know what I want. Well, then ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you want. So, you know, we don't really know what we want. Right? Ask your wife if she knows what you want. But we begin to ask God for these provisions. We ask him for the things. We ask him to awaken things in us for us to ask him for. Show me what you want for me, Lord. Show me what I want. Show me. Awaken in me. We ask him to forgive. This is where you come before God. If you're carrying stuff, you need to carry it no more. Lord, I just lay that down. I lay down my attitudes, my words, my actions, everything. God, I was just around some really crazy things, and I just feel dirty. Just, you, ever, you, ever been, you ever gone places and been around people and... You know, you know what I'm talking about? And you leave there and you're just kind of like, man, I want to, I don't know, I want to shower, you know? Like, we just ask the Lord to cleanse us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. We forgive. Forgive means to put forgiveness in front. For, which means put it out, give. And so what does it mean? It means we walk in forgiveness. Walking in forgiveness is having the attitude, let's just say it together, I refuse to be offended. That's forgiveness. That's what it means to walk in forgiveness. If you t set your heart on that day and say, I refuse to be offended. 
Nobody's going to do anything today that's going to tick me off. I refuse to be offended. I've learned that from Carrie. She's done that to me all the time. I'm walking in forgiveness towards you, Kevin. I refuse to be offended. I'm like, really? <laughs> but we, it's what it means to forgive. We refuse to be offended. No one's going to offend me today. I refuse to receive offense. Forgive us. And then we forgive. We re- intentionally release other people. We've indebted to us. We do that again through the Spirit. Last slide. We do not lead us into temptation. What does that mean? This is a big one. If you're writing anything down, write this down about this. When we pray that God would not lead us into temptation, what we are asking him for, and this again relates even to fasting, is we're asking him to change our appetite. That's what you're asking for. Say it with me. Temptation means nothing without appetite. You can go to KB's restaurant this afternoon, and he can lay out for you steak tips with yellow rice, saffron, like he makes with asparagus. Amazing dish. And I'm not fasting, that's what I'm going for right there. And if you don't eat meat, that plate means nothing to you. And if you uh, are not hungry, that plate means nothing to you. But if you are hungry and you have the appetite, you are suddenly in another whole other world. And so what we're tempted with is what we're hungry for. And sometimes our hunger is a variation of something good. We hunger for a relationship, and we go into all the wrong relationships, and we end up in these really bad places, and we can't seem to stop going into these relationships. The hunger for a relationship is not wrong, but the appetite for that type of thing is wrong. There's something misguided within the hunger. So we're asking God to change what we're hungry for or to purify what we're hungry for. We're asking him to purify even us in our direction towards him, that I would be hungry for your word, that I would be hungry for your spirit. And even acknowledging, this is important, okay? Christian, this is important, that you acknowledge what the problem is. I just don't feel like loving anybody. I honestly feel like going off and getting in a fight. That's just how I feel. Lord, change it. No, I'm just, I'm using, it's called hyperbole. I use a big example, right? So it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, Kevin's going to go out and get in a fight today. It's going to go down right over there, man. See what's going on. No, but you, you have to acknowledge where you are. Lord, I don't feel like I'm hungry for you. I really don't feel like I want you. Help me. That's my problem. Help me. Let me be hungry for you. Let me want you. Holy Spirit, change the things that I'm hungry for. Purify the things that I'm hungry for. Make right the things that I'm hungry for. That's what you're asking for. Deliverance from the evil one is spiritual warfare. The enemy doesn't play fair, okay? The Christian, you are to have a theology of the devil. What does that mean? Good God, bad devil. Great God, little bitty devil that caused a whole lot, a lot of problems. Okay, that's the point. And the Bible even tells us in Peter, it says, we are not ignorant of the devil, nor of his devices or schemes. So what's it saying? You're not to be ignorant of him. It doesn't mean you fixate on the darkness, but it means you've got to be aware of what's going on. The enemy comes into areas of your life, and he occupies areas of your life that he doesn't have a right to. He's called a squatter. He just comes in, plops right down in your living room. You're like, you can't be here. Says who? Says who? Eats up all your food, consumes all your fuel, just completely devastates your house. And until you know who you are, and until you know how to properly evict him, he's going to sit there and squat. He takes what is not his. He's a thief. He steals. Again, he steals, kills, and destroys. That's what he does. He destroys things in your life. He wants to put to death things in your life. And he does it without your permission. 
And until you learn spiritual warfare, which is another teaching in and of itself, you got to say, no, that's not happening. No, that's not what my Bible says. No, you can't have that. It's called spiritual warfare. We have to fight. There's a verse in Nehemiah that tells them, we quoted this at prayer, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your households. The Bible would not tell you to fight if you didn't have to fight. It would not tell you to put on armor if you weren't, if there wasn't a fight. Heinrich posted on Facebook, I forgot I said that. It was like, you know, he said something about a street fight. That's what it is. Spiritual warfare is a street fight. It ain't fair. I mean, you're getting an armpit in your face, you're getting an elbow across your, across your, you know, your nose. I mean, it's a street fight. And so you just put that right back up on him. You give him a beat down. Absolutely not. I bind you, I cast you out, you have no authority, you have no rule, you know, right. You know, you, you, you overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, word of testimony. Here's what Jesus did in these verses. That's spiritual warfare. And then we end, and I'm done, we end with declarations of prayer. We begin with prayer and praise, and the prayer ends with prayer and praise. You don't think prayer and praise is important? He puts it at the beginning and the end of the prayer. So we enter his gates of thanksgiving, we close with praise, and then we come at the end, and we declare that his is the kingdom, his is the power, his is the glory. That's how we end the prayer. We put, we, Lord, it's your dominion that I seek. It's your glory that I seek. It's yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. So what are you supposed to do with this? Okay, this is a big teaching. What I'm challenging you to do is begin to develop a pattern of this in your life. Begin to understand this and try praying this out sometimes. You know, and people go, well, it takes away the randomness of prayer. Well, yeah, it probably does because it's more of a structure. You know, but you're not praying it in structure. Sometimes you're going to move right through parts of it. When I pray this, sometimes I don't even get past the names of God, and I'm done. I mean, I didn't even get your kingdom come, your will be done, because I just spent an hour praying and blessing his name. You know, and in the blessing, and that's just how it is. Sometimes you're going to pray through the names of God, and you're going to get hung up on something over here. But it's okay. It's not, it's not, it's not meant to be, it's meant as a guide. Other times it's just going to guide you right through. One of the best ways to interact with it is to look at that prayer. To, you know, I'd say download the, C, do the MP3 that we're going to send you this week, and then download the PDF and look at the verses. And then when you're going to pray, sit down and write out, write, write things out. You know, what, what does, you know, what does it mean for God to be my provider? Father, what am I thankful for in, in His provision? And you might find yourself writing that out. It might be lengthy. Read the prayer. It's okay to read the prayer. Some people are better putting their thoughts together collectively. Some of you are verbal processors. In other words, your brain doesn't work unless your mouth is moving. Okay? That's kind of like me. Okay? Let me just, I start talking about random things and that's what gets the gears moving. Other people, they're not verbal processors. You're internalizers. So you have to internalize it in order to express it. It's okay. We're all different. But that's, that's kind of what I'm telling you. So I'm just trying to challenge you to begin to engage this and begin to pray in these powerful ways and begin to take these things down these ways. It's going to change the way that you think going to change the way that you approach God. It's going to change your experience and your relationship with God. And you have to set a time aside. The Bible actually says that God, Jesus went aside at a certain time. What does that mean? It means he created a margin in which to pray. It says that Jesus went to a certain place. In other words, he found an environment that was engaging for him. Not all environments are engaging for prayer. You know what I mean? Especially intimate prayer like we're talking about, right? Sometimes it's just you need to go quick, help me out here, Jesus, kind of thing. And that's all right, but you have to create a place, and you have to find that place. You have to find, where is that place for you? Is it driving in your car? Is it, is it finding a park? Is it water? Do you pray better when you're with people? Do you pray better by yourself? I mean, what is it that you need? But you create those environments, and you create that margin. 
prayer is a central theme for the Christian. It's central, right? It's central to who we are and what we are to be. And we have to begin to operate in this way. And Jesus has showed us this. It's insanely powerful. It's insanely powerful. Anybody watch Star Wars? Anybody yeah, like Star Wars? Yeah. They take these little Padawans, and they have to teach them how to carry a gun, how to take a sword, right? And until they carry the sword, then they become powerful. They have to learn how to move with the force, right? They have to learn. They're not naturally born moving with the force. They're moving with the power that's theirs by right. Well, there's spiritual significance there. We have to learn these things. We have to learn to, to, to wield the things that we're given. We don't know. And so we have to begin to exercise and train ourselves in these ways in order for it to happen. And I would even tell you not just log it and all this other stuff, but create a journal. Write out the things that you're praying for, and you're going to see things are going to shift. You're going to see, see that things are going to happen. So when you're praying, his will be done and his kingdom will come in the city, just begin to write that out, and all of a sudden you're going to see things that are going to begin to change. You're going to be praying for people, and you're going to see things begin to change. It will happen. It won't happen immediately because once you start going into the devil's territory, he's going to front you, and he's going to stand you, and he's going to make you push past him. He's going to make you pretend or see that nothing's happening. That's what he's going to do because he wants you to stop praying. Because when you pray, you enter the heavens and you wreck him. That's what you do. Prayer wrecks him. It totally undoes him. So, anybody get anything out of that? Yeah? Okay, good. We're going to take communion. We'll be out of here very shortly, I promise you. I'm so gracious that you guys... When in, in the Greek cultures, if they would win an all, a battle or they would win a victory, they would send a herald back to the king of the city or back to the place from which the army had come and that person that would run. I mean, one of the famous stories of this happening is Marathon. Any of you are familiar with that story where the Greeks won a great victory against the Persians and they sent a runner to the king and he was called an evangel. So the person that runs with the message is called an evangel. And so when the evangel would come into the city, the Greek, the kings or whatever, they would proclaim a party and it would be an evangelon. It would be a celebration where the victory was proclaimed. That's one of the things that happens on Sunday morning is it's a celebration where the victory is proclaimed. We are people of the gospel. As a Christian, this message of the gospel, this message of victory is to inform our lives. It's to inform our lives, it's to change the way that we think. We do not have permission to believe or to think the way we used to once we've encountered the gospel. You no longer have permission as a Christian to relate to yourself as a, in, a, in, in, in your past. That's been purchased. You have, the only way you relate to yourself now is in Christ, as to who you are in Christ and what your destiny and your hope is as a believer. And so this message of victory, this message of power, is to inform the way that we think, it's to inform our lives, transform our thinking, and shift the reality of everything that we do. So what the idea is, is that as we begin, we bring our lives back to Christ, we come under His authority, His kingdom, His purposes, but we begin to yield other areas of our lives to Him, and we bring, begin to bring the rule of God or the reign of God into every area of our life under the gospel. Next slide, please. Where's my slide guy? He got raptured. Slide guy walked with the Lord and was no more. <laughs> so I'm going to read you some verses. We're going to talk today about the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16. Paul, 
is writing, the, the writer is writing to a church in Rome, and there was a lot of oppression and a lot of things that were being pushed against the believer and against the Christian in that culture. And Paul is writing in this book, he is writing to the Christian in the city of Rome, and he is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's saying this message of victory, there is nothing to be ashamed of. For the gospel, the message, the proclamation of victory, it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first, but also to the Greek or the, to the Gentile. And that means to the knowledgeable and to the ignorant. To those who know about this and those who don't. This message is for them. It's the power of God. How is the power of God? So the message of the gospel is power. The message of the gospel is the message of victory. And so what he goes on to say here, that the message itself, the proclamation of, 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 of the gospel, is the righteousness of God, and it is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What the heck does that mean? Right? What, what really does that mean? Well, what it's, saying to, what it's saying to us is that what is right to God is revealed through faith or application. And so what he's saying here is that everything that is in the gospel is what is right to God. Everything that is in the proclamation of victory is what is right to God. Well, what is right to God? Salvation is right to God. That people come out of darkness and into light. That people be forgiven of their sin and now stand as a new creation born again. That's what's right to God. But that power is only activated when somebody applies it with faith. That's what it's saying. Do we understand what I'm talking about? Anybody here who's given their life to Jesus... And that power has become activated in your heart. Do you know what I'm Anybody here? You understand what I'm talking about? That is the power of the kingdom being made known to you. That is what is right to God being made known to you. And so what it's saying is that there's a message of victory that is available to all of mankind. And there is a message of victory to the believer attached to promises that is made available to us or is made known when we apply it by faith. So Jesus won a victory, and he gives us the spoils of the victory. So what's that look like? Jesus came, conquered hell and the grave, conquered sin and death, and then he looks at you and I and says, mighty warrior. He wins a victory, and he says, overcomer. He wins a victory, gains all of the, gains all of the access from the victory, and then he gives it to us. He gives us the spoils of the victory. So there's power in this message. For us to believe that when we come to Christ and the power of salvation that's imparted to us, is all there is, is absolute foolishness. And this is yet, this is what we think. This is how we perceive. That we come to Jesus, we receive the power of the kingdom in us, we experience what it's like to be born again, and then we think there's nothing more. There's far more. There's a whole other realm in which we're called to operate in. And, that, and it's only revealed in the life of the believer when it's applied by faith. God speaks of a psalm. There's a psalm in the, in the Old Testament and it talks about the children of Israel as God was trying to take this nation and form them into a people of the kingdom. And he said the word of God that was spoken to them did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. And this is oftentimes what happens as believers. We hear these things and we hear these things and we hear these things and they go over our head or in one ear and out the other and, or we say ourselves, well, I've heard that. But the problem is, is that it's not profitable until you apply it. It's not profitable until you step into it. Jesus died for the whole world. The salvation is available for every single person that will give their life to Christ. But that power only becomes activated if they step into it. So what does it say? Matthew 24, 14 says, 
this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a witness and to all nations, and then the end will come. So it's not just a gospel of victory. It is a gospel of the kingdom. That's very important to understand. It's not just one message. It is the, it is the gospel of a king's dominion or the reign of a king. What's it mean? It means that heaven can be established the kingdom of God can be made known upon the earth. It will not happen in full until Jesus comes. We know that. We understand that. We're not going to manifest the fullness of the kingdom, but we will manifest the, the divine aspects of the kingdom. Does that make sense to you? The Bible says Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he's going to establish his kingdom upon the earth. He's here with us now in spirit, in power, by the Holy Spirit. He's with us. But he will come in physical form. In Revelation, it says, Behold, I saw the city of God come descending down from heaven. And behold, what? The tabernacle or the dwelling place of God was with men. And his kingdom will be without end. And it tells us all of these things. And it tells us that there's coming a time when this God of the universe will dwell with us. And everything's going to change. Everything's going to shift. All, that, all sin will be gone. The world will be made new. It's a very cool Greek word called palingenesia. And it means renewal of all things. So when Jesus comes, there's going to be renewal of all things. The earth itself will be renewed. You and I will be renewed. We'll all be shifted. It's crazy when you think about it. But in the meantime, what we are to do is we're to live out of this victory that he won, and we are to live out of the, and we are to bring the dominion of God into our world. That's what he said. Victory of the dominion of God into every area of life. So as you become a believer, you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you come under the dominion of God. When you come to Jesus, you call him what? Jesus says, Lord, you come under his dominion, and you experience the power of coming under his dominion. It's the same thing in every area of your life. Lots of Christians are under Christ as Jesus is Lord, but there are other areas of their life that are not under they do not. Their money is not under him. Their, finance, their, their, their family isn't under him. It's like Jesus is something I do on Sundays. The rest of their life is not integrated. You know, don't tell me what to do with my body. Don't tell me the way to think. I'll think any way I want. Well, you're not under the gospel. You can be saved and forgiven and still live out of a carnal or a fleshly world. And you don't experience the power of the kingdom because of that. But it's available to us. Okay, so the victory is the dominion of God into every area of our life. Second Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And through our Lord Jesus Christ says his divine power. Here we're talking about the power of the gospel has been given to us, has given to us all things. Say with me, all things. Okay, so what this verse is telling us is that everything that we need has been given to us. For what? For life and for godliness. For life, that is to live, to experience the life that God has called us to live, and for godliness, that is to do the things that God has called us and created us to do. Everything's already provided for you. Okay, I said this in first service. God has made a deposit over the believer's life in the heavenly places. God makes a deposit in you, you're being deposited in right now. The Holy Spirit, I'm speaking his word, and the Holy Spirit is depositing things in your heart. He is making an investment in you. The problem, why the Christian does not see what is actually theirs, is because we do not make a demand upon the account which has been given to us. We do not draw on the account that's been given to us. We actually, we say we believe it, but we really don't. We really don't, we really don't operate or step into it. And so the reason why the power of the kingdom, so God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is an absolute promise. Do you draw on that account? Do you pray on that account? Do you pull on that account? It's not, oh God, would you, could you, would you? 
You know, you say, Lord, in Jesus' name, I just release everything that I need. I speak into this situation. I release your power. I release your kingdom. Whatever that looks like, that's, you begin to wrestle that through. And we begin to pull on this account that that's what we were praying for healing this morning. Healing's in the atonement. Jesus paid for it. Why was he beaten? To pay for physical healing. We argue this. People say, oh, well, no, he paid for sin. The cross paid for sin. We have to understand that. There was no sin payment when Jesus was being beaten. There was no sin payment when he was bleeding in the garden through his brow. The payment for sin was on the cross. You understand that? It was on the cross that darkness overshadowed him and the Father pulled away. Why? Because that was the atonement of sin. The atonement of sin was not in the garden. The atonement of sin was not when the beatings were happening. That was an atonement for physical redemption. That was an atonement for emotional redemption. So he's paid for this. And so when we pray for healing this morning, what are we doing? We're making a demand upon the account that's been given to us. We're pulling on what is already ours and releasing it into what is. You say, well, why don't we see this? Because we have, first of all, we've not entered into these realms fluid, in enough fluidity to, to operate like that. And secondly, we have an enemy that resists us on every level. You understand that? We have an enemy that wants to keep us from access. And one of the ways he does this is through ignorance. But I challenge you and tell you to make a demand upon the account that's been given to you in every, in every way. But I, what I can assure you of is that the Holy Spirit makes an account. He draws on the account that he invests. So as the Holy Spirit's investing in you right now, he, he will demand on that. He will call that out. So some of you throughout the week, you're going to hear a message like this, and the Holy Spirit's going to be pulling on you. You're going to feel it because he demands, he does not invest without expecting a return. We have the peeps, right? We give out the peeps. So you get the peeps. You hear this message, and you're like, oh, this is crazy. But yet the Holy Spirit is somehow compelling you that you need to do this because he's making a demand upon what he has invested in you. Does this make sense to you guys? Yeah? Yeah? And so what we have is we have access to divine power. We have access to a divine kingdom. But our problem is, is that we do not know how to pull on it. We do not know how to access it. We talked about last week. This is a huge teaching. This is, again, a, something that we have to understand. The Christian has not been taught these things. We're taught life principles. Thank Jesus for life principles. Thank God for life principles. We need all the life principles we can get. We need all those. But we've not been taught spiritual principles, and we've not been taught how to draw on this. Last week I was sharing about, like, if you ever asked the question, why Jesus uses fishing? Why didn't he say, follow me and I'll make you a cattle?